Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Brother date, everybody. I, today is a very special episode because it's a Star Trek episode. Goddamn right it is. It's week twenty-three. Yeah, it's one of the half can, of our episodes are very special. Can you ever have imagined that we? St- I mean, we still are, we're still not done with season one. No, the season one. I mean, it's true. We're done with season one of three of the. Oh wait, I don't know where we are in Enterprise. I I don't care. We'll have the seasons break in that mm, one. I think we are in season two of that as well. But in in two of them, we're still in season one in TOS and TNG. Yeah, um, I think TOS has really long seasons, so we might be. In I think the first one. one's like twenty nine or something like that. But I'll 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 look up the break at some point. Yeah. But yeah, we're still I, to doing be honest. This. The reason I know when these seasons end generally is because I'm casting around for a premise and I'm like reading the Memory Alpha article after I've watched it. And then it's like, this was the last episode of season one. And I'm like, oh, check that out. I know. But I never have to cast around for a premise for the original series. So I may never know. Yeah. You'll probably have to tell me. They're doing a pretty good job in terms of um, finding a take. In yeah. General. Uh, but yeah, we're still doing this. Um, every time... You know, every time we say, oh, we'll never get to that episode. I mean, like, every every time we do this, we get a little bit closer to that episode. That's totally true. Whichever one. <clears throat> I mean, we're we're super close, for instance, to an episode that we've been looking forward to all season, Conspiracy. Oh, you saw the Netflix teaser image pop up? I did see went, that the oh, Netflix boy! teaser image popped up, and I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was kind of mad about this episode, and we'll get to it, but th- then I was like, oh, I see why. This was the last filler episode, so that now that yeah. makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's 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 jump right in. Uh, this week we watched uh, a taste of Armageddon. Enterprise is on a mission to open diplomatic relations with Armeniar uh, 7, which I first heard as Armeniar 7. <laughs> you thought maybe these were Armenians. There are probably going to be some Armenians down there. Mm-hmm. It's not clear that they're not Armenians, but I don't think they're supposed to be. All the Kardashians? Yeah. Uh, when they get a Code 710, what? under no circumstances approach the planet. Oh, here we go again. Um, but, as sometimes happens in Star Trek, they have a civilian on board. In this case, it's Ambassador Fox, who orders Kirk to go ahead and disregard that under no circumstances approach the planet and go ahead and, and, and proceed so he can finish his mission. Uh, here's what we know about this planet. 50 years ago, they were at war with their nearest neighbor, and the ship that made that report never returned. So I don't know if they fired a buoy or subspace or something. Right. But I guess they stopped at some point. And also, it's been 50 years and no one came and looked. Yep, that happens a lot in TOS. Yep. Uh, Down on the planet, they're greeted cordially, but uh, the person who greets them, Mia 3, which is um, 
a name directly out of Logan's Run. Yes, That's is. how everyone's named in Logan's Run. Yep, we saw that recently. Marjorie and I watched that movie recently. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah. Uh, she insists that they're in danger. Mm. Uh, they go and see the leader, uh, Anon, Seven. Right. It's a very Logan's Run. Uh, and he explains that they have been at war for 500 years, but when they... It doesn't seem like they're at war. Like, the place seems pretty chill. Right. Yeah. Uh, while they're having this discussion, their adversary, Vendicar, attacks. And on the map in the control room, a hit registers inside the city. But, despite the fact that it's supposed to be fusion bombs being materialized over over the targets, uh, no one, no one um, hears or feels any explosions. Uh, so Spock figures out that they're sort of simulating their war, fighting with computers. And that is how he describes it. Computers. Computers. <clears throat> uh, yeah, no one says simulation. Yeah. I don't think. Nope. Uh, in fact, the closest they got, come is when Spock asks if it's a theoretical attack. This is probably one of my quick hitters, but I think at that point, um, all of the wars are fought with computers. It would be my guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it is already the case. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, but, uh, but the casualties are real because the people who are computed to have died, uh, dutifully report to disintegration machines, uh, which everybody finds real horrifying. Mm. Uh, then they tell Kirk that the Enterprise is also destroyed and that the, uh, theoretically destroyed. Sunk by battleship. And that the crew has 24 hours to report, uh, to those self-same uh, disintegration machines and to make matters worse uh mia 3 is also on the lists oh no and uh they ask her the very sensible question well think about it <laughs> right. like maybe don't go and she explains that if people refuse to report then this system will break down and they'll have to fight with real weapons and then not just people but also the whole civilization would be lost because all the buildings will be destroyed and resources will be used up. and they, they Right, and the planet will be poisoned, etc. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Anon 7 tries to trick Scotty into beaming everybody down, uh, and Scotty just sees immediately through it. Yeah, that's right. Scotty's in command on board. On the Basically, on the everybody on the Enterprise knows each other super well, and this guy might as well have called up and called Spock a half-breed. <laughs> that's right. Because... The trick is, he says something that Scotty doesn't believe he would say. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can simulate Kirk's voice, but uh, he's a special man, and he talks in a special way. Right. So then they just ask the computer, was that uh, Captain Kirk? And the computer's like, nah. Computer also not fooled. Nah, though. That's <laughs> uh, not him. Right. And it's like, it would be nice if the computer volunteered that. Yeah. Incoming communication from not Kirk. Mm, sounds like Kirk, but it's not Kirk. Um, down on the surface, Spock uses telepathy to trick a guard into opening the door. Yeah. I don't know why they couldn't have just pretended to be sick. The usual, uh, yeah. come in here and help. This is really bad in here. I think that guard would have opened the door. He made a smelly do. He made a smelly deuce. <laughs> he deuced it in here. There's no toilet. <laughs> Uh, anyway, there's only one guard, so they escape easily. 
they see one of the disintegrators in action. Spock steals a weapon and they destroy the disintegrator. Also, it seems like nobody is really prepared to deal with um, like an armed insurrection inside of this place. No, which is definitely where they're making war from. It's become so idyllic that they are just like, yeah, not they're not up for it. Everyone's like, is he going to violence us? Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, the council uh, starts shooting at the Enterprise ineffectively, but it does mean that they have to keep their screens up. And that means something, but it's not clear what. They can't beam the captain back up, I, I guess. guess. Yeah, I guess that's... that's but they the can beam Ambassador Fox down. So they send him down to try and talk his way out of things. These are one-way screens. You can send things through them from your direction, but you can't... Nothing comes back through them. <clears throat> Right. I just worked that out. Um, around this point, Kirk shows up to Anon 7's quarters and announces that he is going to destroy the whole planet without the Enterprise if he needs to. <laughs> but he is immediately subdued by guards and taken to the council room. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox and some aide, who is, I think, never named, beam down. And they're immediately marched off to a disintegration chamber. But Spock rescues them and destroys a second one, which I think now puts Anon 7 in kind of a bad scenario, because I don't think he has enough disintegrators to kill everybody. Right. In time. Uh, Kirk. Anon 7 tries to put Kirk on the horn to Scotty to get him to order people to come down. where And Kirk immediately announces... Uh, that Scotty should uh, should execute General Order Number Twenty Four in two hours, which apparently is to wipe out the entire inhabited surface of the planet. I'm glad that's a general order. I'm glad it's as far down as Twenty Four, though. Yeah, thankfully it's not General Order Number One, which I think we all know is don't go to Talos Four. That's correct. This is not the Marine Marine Corps General Orders are like not they're not this specific. No. They're like, take charge of this post and all government property in view. Walk my post in an orderly fashion, keeping always on alert. I I can do all of them if I need to, but I won't. It kind of makes me wonder if General Order 24 is to destroy this specific planet. Oh, it probably is. It probably General Order 24 is to destroy Meteor 7. General Order 25 is to destroy Vendikar. That's right. These do happen because, because the contact was made 50 years ago. They're pretty early in the General Orders. Hey, before you continue, let me test my cough button. Did you hear that cough? No, I didn't. You yes. have a cough button? It's just the mute button. I just oh, you didn't have a mute button. It made me sound like a cool radio person. Oh, uh, you got a fancy one. I don't have one. I just have to turn I just have to turn my mic down. Yeah, I got that dongle that I sit on sometimes. Yeah, it's true. The sit the sit upon. Yes, that's what I got. Alright, go on. Um predictably Vendikar is pissed off that the executions aren't on schedule. Mm. Uh and then Kirk gives everybody a lecture about how war is meant to be dirty and awful. And that their clean way of fighting has prolonged the war. Yeah. Then he destroys the computer. Yes, he does. Abrogating the agreement with Vendikar. <laughs> and he tells them they have two options. To fight a real bloody war or to make peace. And because this is Star Trek, his crazy gambit works. We and think. for the ninth time, they leave uh, guest crewmen, in this case it's Ambassador Fox, behind on the planet while they warp out. Yeah. There you go. We got to the end. Uh, we did it. And I think you... You 
you summarized it very well. So well, in fact, that you, I mean, you basically said the take of the episode. Well, listen, <coughs> they, they want it to be very straightforward. Yeah. So what I got, look, war can never end unless they face the true horrors of it, right? It's, yes. It becomes too comfortable. It's part of everyday life at that point. So that's that's the take. Um, you know, other things they talked about, you know, does war have to be brutal and terrible? Because the other people do try to defend their position and they do a good job. Um is it better that the individual dies so society can go on? You know, what about the will to preserve yourself? Where does that fall? Like, all these people are just reporting to the execution chambers. You know, like it's nothing. Right. So they they bring up some things, and I like it when you have multiple takes and you and you really dissect an issue. And There's a lot of stuff happening in this episode. I thought this, in terms of concept, this was very, very strong, and I gave it a nine. All right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you. I gave it an eight. Uh, and I actually, uh, have twin concepts for this episode. Okay. Uh, one, a clean, efficient war would go on forever. Right. And two, man may have a killer instinct, but that instinct can be fought. That's true. There is a, there is a long speech that Kirk gives about how you have to accept that you're a killer and just say, I'm not going to kill today. Yeah, which was good. That was like some good Sheridan stuff right there. It kind of was, right? <clears throat> yeah, the guy's like, yeah, we're killers. We, heck, we, heck, we can't beat it. It's just how it is. And you're a killer's too. And Kirk's like, yeah, I know. Like, you know, in the first season of Star Trek, they hired a bunch of actual science fiction writers. Yeah. And then and then dicked with all their scripts till they quit. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like uh, this one snuck through because... There's some real sci-fi stuff going on here. It's very... I mean, when you just think about it, us, you come across two societies that simulate a war and everyone, order like in an orderly fashion, reports to the execution chambers. Like, that right. is a... That's like a real 50s sci-fi take. Yeah. Like in the like in Cold War times. Oh, for sure. Um, this, is, this is an episode very much about the Cold War. Yeah. And that's fine, because this was during the Cold War. If yeah. this was an episode of Enterprise, I would be less impressed with it. Yeah, they had other things to tackle, which we'll talk about right. later. I guess even if it was Deep Space Nine or Voyager. But if it was the first season of TNG, it would still make sense, I guess, yeah. to do something like this. But, uh, yes, it is a very Cold War take. And it is, you know, it's responding to ideas of, like fighting a limited war you know it's there's kind of the same thing uh would apply today if about you know fighting with drones right mm -hmm. like those pilots are never exposed to danger etc yeah there's a very related issue it's not the same yes. issue but it's related today where it's like are we worse to other nations because war is so distant and clean right and like is it is it inherently uh, an, an immortal proposition to try to fight a clean, sanitized war. Right. Because then what is the, what's preventing you from war? Right. My problem with the take, and the reason it's only eight, mm. is because that also seems to argue for unrestricted warfare, chemical warfare, things like that, right? It's like, true. If you took it to its furthest extreme, it does mean those things. Make war dirty so you don't <coughs> want to fight it, so there'll be resolve to have peace. And I don't know that there's anything in that. Yeah, I mean, the First World War lasted a very long time. 
that's what I was going to say. It was not only the First World War did it drag on and on, but then we had another one 20 years later. So. Exactly. So even the... And yes, and in between that time, there was, uh, you know, the Geneva Convention and stuff, right? Like, people attempted to address the ugliness of the First World War, and they just created a different kind of ugliness in the Second World War. It wasn't exactly the same, right? Right. But... Um, and in fact, what I, I think, what would have been more accurate, though again, I'm not really worried about the accuracy of it, I just like to think asked and and discussed the whole thing but what we've seen in the cold war is that it's really the threat of what this lady is afraid of of losing your entire civilization right that will prevent you from fighting the war right because that's what we've seen is this mutually assured destruction idea of of neither side wanting to go to nuclear war because they're afraid that'll be the end of everything as opposed to the dirtiness of world war one which was horrifying the worst kind of of terror that you could have if you're on a battlefield. Yeah. But it didn't stop the war from happening and it didn't stop the next war from happening. No, it didn't. And uh, even if you, even if you think that this episode is maybe is about a little different thing, which is the war doesn't have much impact on the civilian population, right? Like aside from the, the people who are actually disintegrated, and you'd have to imagine, we have no idea how frequent these attacks are, right? Right. It's, it's an interesting coincidence that as soon as they show up, one right. happens, but that's for the show. And it's in the capital city, etc., right? Mm-hmm. And, but, I don't know. He says they've been losing, they lose like a million people a year or something, right? Yeah, one to three million, I think. It's one to three million a year. Aside from <clears throat> the fact that the society obviously has to deal with losing that many people, it seems like they more or less are living normal lives. Yeah. From the brief things that we see. But even if you were going to argue that there has to be civilian impact to shorten the war, that... Yes, it does still argue for murdering civilians. It does. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like... That's why this is not a... Despite the fact that it's a a sort of a strong take and a very sci-fi take, and even despite the fact that I thought there were at least two takes in this one, and you named a couple of other things that this episode is about. Yeah. Uh, that's why I only gave it an eight. Oh, still a really good score. The take is easy to identify. Uh, it's just it leads to some conclusions that I'm I find unsatisfying. Okay. So uh, execution wise, yeah, what, did that impact the execution score? Yes, the cat's always pissed off. I'm sorry, you're old. I assume it's about being old. Um, I so I gave it a six. Uh, I think that this was a fairly well uh, executed episode, and I thought that they did some a couple of interesting things, which is, at no point is the Enterprise really in danger. Right. I think that's uh, unusual, considering in many other episodes that we've seen so far, whatever weird force has the crew in danger on the planet also puts the ship in danger. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal of freedom style, right? Decay their orbit or attack them in orbit or whatever. Yeah. Um, so with the enterprise out of harm's way, there's no, like Kirk doesn't have to talk them down from their position. Right. He can take this bold action because they can't retaliate against his ship in any way. Well, he can. He is free to. Yes. 
He doesn't. Oh, it's not required. No, it, he is free to take these actions. Uh, and then I also find it uh, wild that there's a general order to reduce a planet's cities to ash in this. It's clearly more militaristic than Picard's Starfleet, but still. Yep. Uh, and I, I kind of wish they hadn't introduced that. That's in world building also, of course, but it, it affects execution here for me because I don't like that. So uh, I gave it a six. Okay. How um, did you feel they executed on this episode? I gave it a seven. So um, obviously in terms of the take, we already sort of talked it all through. They've had a war that's lasted 500 years. Shut up, cat. Because it's so easy and comfortable. Cat's mad. <laughs> millions and millions of people keep dying because it's just they're they're just used to it, and it's not it's not a big enough hindrance on them for it to end. And the way the wars explained, the way everybody looks well off and comfortable, and the way they're they're fucking eager to get into those death chambers. It's very well crafted, if sixties obvious. Um, yeah, I like the the uneasy partnership between McCoy and Scotty on the bridge. Where yes. I think McCoy, and we'll talk about this in characterization, but he kind of considers himself more in the inner circle, but yeah. outside of the chain of command, kind of. Right. So they have to sort of team up on, against this Fox guy who keeps trying to fucking fuck with every situation, like every single person that they ever have on the ship tries to do. Yeah, boy, Gene Roddenberry didn't like uh, people looking the brass, over his shoulder. Huh? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> too many, too many notes from the network, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, he was a speechwriter for L.A.'s chief of police. Oh, uh, that's right, yeah. Maybe he doesn't like, uh, he doesn't like higher-ups in general. He probably had a bad, got a bad taste in his mouth from City Hall or maybe the chief of police himself. Right. Um, but every time we see one of these guys, they just screw it up. And, um, and I guess the rehabilitation of Fox was also handled with, with some degree of success. That once he's engaged, once he finally figures out that these guys are not, he can't just chat with them about it, and he has to get into it. You know, that's that's something. It's it it's also kind of weird, but it's fine. Um, I mean, it does definitely does take his life being at stake before yeah. he then he's all in before he <laughs> drops his uh, I don't know vanity about completing his mission. It's really, I guess, is what's driving him in the first half. That's the part that we were just talking about. Is we don't really understand why these civilian observers or characters are portrayed to be such fucking weird assholes. But like, if he doesn't make peace with uh, Aminiar Seven, is is he not going to get his bonus this year? What is no? I, he, this is what I don't understand. What? Why does he <laughs> push right through that Code Seven Ten or whatever it's it is? Because if, okay, so if he fails, they, he's has to go back to a regular collar on his outfit. Oh. He has to. He loses his giant collar, but if he succeeds, yeah. his collar gets even bigger. Oh, and he wants that. He wants the. Big He's hoping collar. to be able to fly with it someday. Right. So it's very. This is a very important mission. It's key, I would say, for him. Um. So I didn't expect to feel so good coming out of this episode, but all in all, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. My my only complaint is that these TOS episodes always seem just a few minutes too long. And <laughs> and, the, and commercial syndication will take care of that for us, yeah. but um. Yeah, there were some moments that were the. It was the twelve to fifteen escapes and captures on the planet. Yes, that made me just go, "All right, like we get it. You escaped again, and you got caught again, and you escaped again, and you knocked out so many guards." It's like the action was really aimless on the planet. They wanted to get to the end scene where Kirk makes a speech, but they didn't know how to get there. 
Right. So they just had people running around doing nonsense. And actually, I have a complaint like this in another episode coming up, where it's just like they, they they're throwing in some scenes that are meaningless because they're killing time. And it's like, if you can't write fifty minutes, gets better writers. I guess is what I'm saying. So anyway, I uh, I gave it a seven. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Did you find any? Did you find any world building being done? You know, I did. Biscuit. That's you now. You're Biscuit. All right. In- let me hold on. Let me change my name. <laughs> change, change my name and the appear in in NGC three two one. Mini R seven. <clears throat> Vendicar code seven ten. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think you can give world building points to a thing that actually exists. In NGC three two one. Is that a continuity yeah. point? Uh. <laughs> Well, it's a barred spiral galaxy in the constellation Cetus. Well, so these things are often not actually awarded points; they're just things I okay. jotted down while I was. Uh... The NGC numbers are real. So <laughs> that's the New Galactic Catalog. That's a I, thing that exists in our world. I, I know this. I know it, Biscuit. Uh, okay. How, how many? Um, All right, I'm Biscuit now. How many defensive details are on standby on Enterprise at any given moment? A good question. Because they mentioned that they're gonna they're gonna alert the defensive details. Anyway, um, love the hats on these security dudes. The hats are cool. The, the outfits planet. are cool. They had some great hats. That's world building for you, these good, good hats. I loved them. I loved the hats a lot. That's good work. <laughs> That's positive world building for me. Okay, cool. We learned a lot about their culture through their hats. Um, they have hats that are like a medieval nun or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a cowl that... Only exposes the middle of the face, but then the hat's got some structure underneath it. I wouldn't say it really matched the rest of the outfit, but it was no. awesome. Alright, here, well, here's a big one. Vulcan tele- telepathy is much more impressive than we've been led to believe. Oh, yeah. He's straight- Boy, I forgot that at this point, that we don't know that we're not going to see that again. He straight communicated with I gotta that give dude it another point. through the wall and compels him to open the door. That's some Babylon 5 telepath shit. It is. He Apparently it has a limited range, and I don't know if the wall helps him or hurts him, but <laughs> maybe, he does seem to make use of it. Yeah, maybe the wall actually conducted it. <laughs> um, so that's a big one. Uh, they can't fire full phasers with their screens up. Yep. These are some weird screens. So you can beam people through them. You can't beam them At back. At least out. You can't beam them back through them. Right. But you also can't fire your phasers through them, but you can fire torpedoes. Yeah. I so, think there's, prob- like, there's <laughs> probably an internal logic that would make all of that make sense. The, yes. only, the only difficulty with it is... Every time, every time we see screens and shields in the original series so far, they behave differently. Yeah. I don't think they had it locked down. No, I also don't think so, which is why I only gave World Building a 5, because I'm confused about a lot of it. Yeah. But, you know, a 5. <clears throat> okay, um, well, I had it at a 4, but you, you mentioned the Vulcan telepathy, and I forgot that, yeah, that was in here. That's a 5 now. Doc, he's only half Vulcan. I know, imagine what... Sarek could do. He's like a so Sarek's uh, like a P12. Oh, well shit, we we actually do see it, don't we? Sarek's a P12, dude, so it's going to be pretty impressive. I mean, when he goes buck wild, he can make people on the ship get into fights. So, 
I guess Vulcan telepathy is actually does actually work at a distance, and it's not just mind melts. He's got some powers, and again, that's one of those questions that we will answer if we ever get to that episode. Like, yeah. it, did the disease make it more powerful? What happened there? Or did he just not have control over it, and a Vulcan could do that if he wanted to? That's correct. But maybe he can't because he can't tap into the emotions necessary to do that? These are all the questions that right. we will hopefully someday get to we will definitely one day get to the episode <coughs> Sarek and then get to talk about all of this and so much more yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what i have code 710 yeah. uh, so here's what's interesting about this is this like some universal code that everybody knows or does uhura get like a recorded message from this thing and translate that to a code 710 herself mm, good question like do these do these dipshits send a code 710 what's the standards authority for this is there one? Yes. Good question. Right. Uh, he orders the crew armed with phaser ones, which are the little hand phasers. Nice. But I don't think we ever heard them described that way. No. Nope. Uh, ambassadors with command authority. I thought the idea of transporting bombs over their targets was pretty interesting. I, I think we'll see a couple of things like that, where somebody transports something that blows up in, into somebody's cargo bay or something. Right. But it, once you have the transporter, I think that's a question that comes up a lot. Of like, why don't they just beam a torpedo in there or something? Yeah. Well, we know the transporter has a pretty limited range. That's true. I mean, it's not that. It's 40,000 kilometers. It's not that limited. Right. That's in TNG. Um, you know, that's a tenth of the way to the moon. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, doctors are not officers of the line. Right. Uh, sonic disruptors. Boy, I don't even remember that. Yeah, that's what they're firing at them. Sonic disruptors. Doesn't really explain how they're propagating all the way up to the Enterprise. They should really not be very efficient once the atmosphere gets, you know, like, orbit thin. Right. But that's fine. Uh, General Order 24. Yeah. Yeah, there's stuff happening here, and it's kind of a mix of good and bad. It's, yep. a, it's a five, though. That's, I think, why I landed at a five. I was like, well, yeah. I don't really know what to make of it. It is a real mixed <laughs> bag. Uh, and characterization is a little mixed also for me. Mm. So uh, I have it at a six, wow. and here's uh, here's what I've got. I think Kirk is a little more violent than I'd like. Yeah. He's not... Like, blowing up the computers, I guess, is his way out of there. Maybe there's a more intelligent version of Kirk that also does that, but threatening to destroy the whole planet and then ordering Scotty to destroy the whole planet instead of just to leave, for instance. Right. Uh, This is not the Kirk that I like who will fight a ship, but then once the danger is over, if that ship's in distress, he'll help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like a few episodes ago, he talked a computer to death. <laughs> and now he's now he's threatening to raise an entire planet. On the flip side, I thought this is the first strong Scotty we've seen. This was the by far the most we've seen of Scotty. And, and in the I other episode, that, he's appeared for like two lines. I thought that he comes off great in this episode. Yeah. He's not tricked by the thing. He doesn't... He doesn't, uh, you know... He's not cowed by the ambassador. He almost doesn't seem to care whether or not he ever gets this job again. Do I wish he hadn't said, I, the haggis, is in the fire for sure? Of course I do. (laughs) 
Oh, I have comments about that. But it does show that he has knowledge that he is making a politically uh, inexpedient decision. But that he's going to do it anyway. So I thought he came out good. And that's most of why this episode gets a six. You're right that the McCoy stuff uh, with him is good, too. But there's no character development for McCoy here, I don't think. No, he doesn't do a ton. And uh, down on the planet, Spock is uh, just an accessory. So. He kicks everybody's ass in the whole episode, but he doesn't. We don't know much. We don't get anything new out of him. Yep. Uh, I agreed entirely. I gave it a six. All right. Um, Kirk is very reasonable in this opening scene, but compared to Fox, anybody in the galaxy would be. Yes. Because Fox just comes on the bridge and is like, fuck that order! Go to the planet! Now! <laughs> he really does. And you're like, what the hell is that? Ha- Who is this guy? What's happening? What's up with his collar? Um, do you notice how he has to use his boner voice as soon as he meets Mia 3? Uh, well, uh, uh, listen, the the first thing I wrote in Quick Hitters was sexy lady music. It's just, like, so come, there's no reason. This character does not have to be a sexy lady. Man. Well, and here's... And here's the thing. It doesn't factor into the rest of the episode at all. That's what I'm saying. Like it's he doesn't seduce her or anything. He keeps her, physically keeps her prisoner. Yeah. And then leaves. That's a kind of Shatner seduction. I mean, a little bit, but like... <laughs> I think a lot of Shatner's seduction is Stockholm Syndrome, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. It's definitely what the lady had for Khan last week. Oh, yeah. As soon as she's seen him, though. Um... But yeah, like, uh, they set her up like there's going to be a little bit of a love interest there, and then they're just, it's just not in the rest of the episode, so it's like, they cut that in favor of more escape attempts, I guess. Just to get into a little bit of what you were talking about with Kirk, what I had written down was, I understand Kirk like doing what he has to do in order to escape, but he does seem kind of unhinged. A little bit, And I right? don't know if it's idle threat that he'd let their whole civilization die before he gives in. Like, he loves his ship and crew so much. Yes. That he might just straight go, nah, fuck you guys. Again, fuck though. Fuck your whole planet. Again, though, they're not really in danger. <clears throat> well, they're in They could long, leave. Uh, well, y- the ship could leave. Yes. Yes, he, but his crew He on and the Spock could not, uh, and the two yeah, nobodies. There's a Chinese girl or whatever, a Japanese girl. Uh, yes, uh, yes, Yeoman Tamura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm is saying, she an ensign or just a yeoman? I think just a yeoman. Just and a yeoman. I think, I'm saying, I'm not sure he wouldn't kill everybody just to try to save the four people. I guess it's possible. he's just, he just seems genuine about it, and then he... But that is 100% the stakes. He is definitely gambling with <laughs> probably hundreds of millions of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he... Four- plus how many ever would die on Vendicar? Exactly. A place we don't see or visit or hear from. And then he, for real, pulls some fucking frontier justice shit and just makes them change their whole society. Yep. Just because he decided it. I decided it. And and by the way, he doesn't know at all if what he has just done has actually also disabled Aminiar's ability to make war in the traditional way. Yeah. Like, he could have just made it so that now Vendikar can just wipe them out with no retaliation. Yeah, just fire at will and just fuck them. And... But, you know, whatever. He doesn't care. That's what I'm saying. Spock told him what the computers did for five seconds, and then he <laughs> blew one up. Never was the difference between Kirk and Picard more stark, I think. Yeah. Like, Picard wouldn't even fix those drug addicts society problems. That's right. All it would take was just like to say a sentence, and he's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. 
But Kirk is just out here fucking putting everything on the line. Like, nah, your, your whole civilization might die. I don't, but I want to leave. I'm not from here, and I don't care about it. I would like to leave this planet. So, and also, who knows if he even cares about Earth? <laughs> Agreed. <clears throat> so that's not great. Scotty wishes Kirk a Bonnie trip. Yeah, I think because as we just discussed, in case we forgot that he's Scottish, James Dewan learned some words and asked the director if he could show off a bit this week. Yep, he's like, I know Bonnie, I know Haggis. Uh, I would like to incorporate those if that is possible. I, I also like Scotty in charge. He seemed really competent and experienced. Um, yep. I liked the McCoy Scotty dynamic. Like I said, Bones being part of the inner circle much more so than Scotty, but not an officer of the line and uh, or in line. And making Scotty competent means we don't have to have a Chief Engineer Logan or Troy Rolaren issue between them. Right. Although it does mean that you can't have a scenario where he's in command on the bridge and there's an engineering problem. Yeah, that's true, yes. In the future. Because we don't know any other engineers. They have to be a rando. That's fine. I feel like that's a scenario that's pretty easy to avoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or even, uh, um, did I say even a Troy Rolaren issue? Because that, you know. You did. Okay, right. <laughs> As if we will ever get to that episode. <laughs> we will not. Uh, and then they're able to combine against this crazy old guy, so that was cool. Um... Spock did work on those fucking guards, mind tricks, and neck pinches all over the damn place. He did, although I found his distraction tactic very poor. Um, did, what did he do? He walked up the dude and he, uh... He tells him there's a multi-legged yeah. furry creature on, on his shoulder. The guard looks at the shoulder, and then Spock neck pinches him right where the guard's looking. So what was the <laughs> point of having him look there? It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. Um, look, at the sh- look at the shoulder I'm gonna pinch. <clears throat> <coughs> Sorry. So, although I think we're starting to figure out that that is consistent for Kirk, uh, it's not something that I enjoy. Um, but everyone else was pretty good, so I, it, it rated a six. I agree. I've also gone through all of my quick hitters except for uh, great costume work from the people that brought you the blue and green jumpsuits and what our little girls made of. Because all of the men on this planet and I don't remember if, the, I don't think the women were, but all of the men on this planet have uh, pants that are one tight leg with a real high boot yeah. and one normal leg. <laughs> of course. How would you and, dress? And this is how you know that that society's doing pretty okay. Yeah, they got time. Because they have time for fancy trousers. Some strange cares. Oh no, look. I love that look. That's a great look. I was going to say, how would you dress if you were at war for 500 years? Just amazing is how you'd dress. Half like I'm one of the three musketeers on the left, uh-huh. and half like I'm a in, in I'm uh, foreshadowing the advent of the disco era right. on the right. Yeah, is that it? That's yeah, that's it. I mean, okay. sexy lady music, uh, Spock's bad distraction tactic. I the haggis is in the fire for sure. I didn't have so many quick hitters for this one, but like I said, I took a lot of other notes so. What have you got while I do math? Uh, I recognize this weird, o- weird old giant collar dude from Star Trek Timelines, the video game. Uh, I had his... I had his Ambassador dog. Fox is in there. Yeah. God, that's weird. He has the skill communicator, which after watching this episode... I don't think that should be true. It's baffling. <laughs> um, in this, I was gonna, actually, I wrote, in this opening scene, he seems like he should have the skill stupid old dick, but <laughs> apparently that, I don't guess they don't have that. Skill. I don't think that is one of them. That was never in my spreadsheet. <clears throat> who else, actually, who do you think... Who else in Star Trek would have the skill stupid old dick? 
Oh, uh... I was thinking, um... Haven't we already had a commissioner or something? Oh, this happens all... This happens every A high episode. commissioner who was a piece of shit? On TOS. On TOS? I mean, I feel like we've already had one. I just don't remember which episode it was in. But I was thinking, um... Uh, Admiral Jameson? Oh, Jameson for sure. Um, and... Yeah, Jameson sucks. Uh, maybe that guy Graves? The... Ira Graves? Yeah, yeah, that guy sucked Stupid it. Stupid old dick, right? Yeah. So, those were a couple that off the top of my head would have that skill, if that was a skill in the game. Uh, we, uh, there's, uh, we could talk about it, but it seems like maybe Tom Paris's dad, uh, <laughs> yep, Admiral Paris might, Admiral Paris also might fit into that category. Stupid old we haven't, we haven't seen him yet, but only because we haven't gotten to that episode yet this week. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, Yet another chance for Kirk to deal with a superior officer uh, running a mission from his bridge. I feel like this happens to Kirk a lot, as we've talked about. Maybe he should think about becoming an admiral himself. That's that's right. Um, because that's something you can just decide to do. Well, it seems like a lot of the time he he definitely has decided that he doesn't want to be an admiral in the future episode, future plots. That's true. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, dang! Enterprise becomes a chip on the pile just by showing up. That seems pretty unfair. Oh, and it was destroyed as soon as it showed up. <laughs> seems it seems but, really unfair. By a tri-cobalt satellite e- explosion. Yep. So they've got nu- nuclear satellites in their simulation. Maybe there's some real ones up there, but they never come into play. Okay, so uh, TOS, like I said, too long. Because we spend a lot of time where Kirk and Spock and this lady are talking about what's happening on this planet. And they clearly don't understand what's happening. And she must be able to tell that they don't understand what's happening, and she just won't tell them. Yes. She just won't go, eh, okay, let me cut to the chase. Uh, this is all simulated. We <laughs> shoot at each other in a simulated program, and it's like, oh, well, you scored a hit, and then a bunch of people have to go to a chamber, and they and they die. And that's how we're fighting this thing, because, you know, we want to keep our society. She doesn't do that. She just is like... We have to, like, sit there and wait for them to try to fucking figure it out. Fucking kill 25 minutes of this plot. Yep. Uh, Audience loves a slow learner. Okay. Um, <clears throat> computers don't kill half a million people. Yeah. I guess Kirk doesn't know how his own ship works. Uh, he's just got a bumper sticker on the Enterprise that says, Computers don't kill people, people kill people. <laughs> uh, I see we're still calling them Vulcanians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently that's just for all of season one. Uh, there was a judo chop that I saw very clearly. Uh, oh, I looked away for a few ti- a few times, but from what I could see, Shatner was doing his own stunts again. I think he did his own stunts in this episode. Which I was pleased about. Or at least they have a, found a better stunt double for him than the last couple we've seen. That 16-year-old kid they got last time <laughs> was very shameful. His whole face was in shot. <laughs> I mean, for a long time. It's all this whole face. Just, okay. I mean, that wasn't last week. That was in court-martial, but still. Uh, I had MVP as Montgomery Scott on the bridge. Just yeah. Getting shit done up there. Yeah, and I guess Scotty, best actor. Oh, yeah. Even though the Agus was in the fire. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. That's dialogue. Actually, that probably is his decision, but still. <laughs> uh, and I gave worst actor to... No one really stepped in it here. Oh, wow. I didn't think anyone really stepped in it. A rare... Yeah. Uh, situation for Star Trek. No, there was nothing that jumped out at me. There is usually somebody who. Yeah, for sure. Shows up on your screen and you go, "Oh, what's this guy doing?" It's very, it's very common. It's a very common scenario. Yeah. All right. Well, good. The math on this. The math must be pretty good. 
It's pretty good. I gave it 25 points, which is very high for me. Mm-hmm. And you gave it 27 points. It's also very high. So that's 52 points, which is good enough for second best. All time? Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, we had um, <clears throat> oh, the Romulan one. Why can't I find it here? I'm telling you, man, that it, if you can clean up on the front end... Like, that's it, because we don't hand out many world-building points. Oh, yeah. And characterization, we haven't had very many very high scores. So Yeah, so so Balance of Terror got 55. Yeah, that was a beast. And uh, Phage got 50. <clears throat> so there are only three episodes over 50, or 50 or higher, and uh, this is so this is the second best one so far. Wow. And then after that, In the Hands of the Prophets got 49, so... All right. Pretty... Uh, Pretty good score, and uh, boy, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one, especially considering what the hell we watch next. Yeah, 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 um, yeah Matthew. This week we watched. We'll always have Paris. <laughs> What's this all one about? Uh, Picard's got hobbies, man. He's doing his fencing thing. He's fencing with this guy. And then, oh, they get in a little time loop where they repeat themselves a couple of times. But they both immediately realize that they've done it. Turns out that happened uh, elsewhere on the ship, too. So they start their investigation. And they find out that it's happening in this whole sector. And they got a distress call from a planet. One of them TOS planets that's got, like, one dude living on it. One, <laughs> one crazy old dude. Very much so. So they go to this... Uh, well, actually, Picard recognizes the name of the dude right away. Uh, yeah. And has a little bit of a mini freakout. <clears throat> and um, it's because this dude stole his ding-dang girlfriend that he <laughs> abandoned. Took his, I mean, this took dude his ended leftover up, girlfriend. This dude ended up married to the woman that he just left behind. Yeah. Like, a million years ago... Seriously, it must be like a million years ago, right? That's 22 years ago, he says it in the beginning. Can that be the right number? How old is he supposed to be? 60. So he was... So he was 38... <coughs> Sorry, this is just hitting me now. He yeah, was that doesn't make any fucking sense, does it? When he knows, when he ghosted this chick? Listen, he asks the holodeck to show him the Café des Artistes as it appeared 22 years ago, April 9th okay. at 3 p.m. And I understand that. A warm spring day. I understand this. But I have a lot of questions about what happened in this holiday program, and we will get to them. Yeah, so, so, all right, so, he was definitely already a Starfleet captain, right? At 38, Or, yeah, like, right? maybe a pretty senior commander waiting to get command of his first ship, maybe the Stargazer, who knows how long he had the Stargazer. Yeah, because he's old. He's fucking old. So if that was only 22 years ago, then really he needs... He needs so this was of, not some childish nonsense. He's got a lot of growing up to do. So he ghosted... He's bad chick. with women. He ghosted this chick. Sorry, we should tell people what happened. The, he was hot and heavy for this chick, and they were supposed to meet at some cafe before he was about to like ship out or whatever. And he was like, oh, I can't handle this. Too many emotions. And he never showed up. And then he always wondered what happened to her or whatever. But I guess he knew she married this crazy old dude who went to go live on this planet and do weird scientific research by himself. Yeah, no, he goes through her he goes through her old Facebook pics like yeah. every few weeks and accidentally has a freak out if he clicks on one and likes it and she's going to be like, 
Oh yeah. my god, he liked this pic that I posted six years ago. And she gets the and notification, and she checks it out, and then she doesn't see the like anymore, and she's like, right. wait, what's going on here? This is my thing glitchy? But it's like, nah, he just went in and he unliked nah, he got He got busted. He got busted accidentally liking one of your old pictures that he was digging deep down into. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's been keeping tabs on her. He knows all about Dr. Paul Mannheim. So, Will Forte, who plays Paul Mannheim, uh, and does a, great, yes. does a great job of it. <laughs> It he really does. At times, his performance almost becomes comic, <laughs> but he he keeps it. He yeah, manages right. to keep it in check. He pulls it like, back. He never becomes. He never gets full MacGruber. That's right. It's very good. It was, I think this is his first credit. If you look back, um, so this dude went to this planet to do some crazy time experiments. Uh, they mentioned some stuff about the relationship between time and gravity and other mm-hmm. nonsense that he's looking into. And it lo- looks like he fucked it big time because uh, all <laughs> galaxies uh, going through weird time time shit because of him. And yep. uh, the fucking thing has a range of at least several thousand light years, according to data. That's a lot. It's just a lot. Which is that's very big. You, that's very very big and bad. You, fu- you fucked it as bad as those those. We know Filipino that Voyager. Divers. We know that Voyager can expect to travel about a thousand light years in one calendar year. Right. So, <clears throat> uh, several thousand light years is is wild. It's so a wild amount. Everybody got to have that that fun of that little time loop thing. Uh, it's because something blew up or something in his lab. And like no, that. shit's just misaligned in some way. He just didn't do it good. So he didn't do it good. And uh, so they go to the planet, and the dude's like in a weird... He's having some fucking seizures in a coma. Fucking have a seizure or a heart attack. Better back the fuck up before he gets smacked the fuck up. Exactly. Um, and uh, uh, Picard does a lot of like uh, whining about this lady and... He and the lady have a lot of conversations about their powerful emotions for each other that apparently have not changed even a little bit. Right. Despite the fact that she's married to arguably a more remarkable man. (laughs) He is remarkable. I mean, when it comes... Yes. Yes. We we know Picard's great. Yeah. He is the captain of a ship. He is a ship's captain. And yes, it's the best ship Mm -hmm. in Starfleet. No, he's doing good. I mean, there's no doubt. He's he's doing, doing He's doing just fine for himself. But when it comes down to it... He is just a starship captain. And this dude is like... This dude... King of this crazy dude time exists. Science. This dude did a, did a mistake accident and now exists in multiple dimensions at the same time. <laughs> right. God, anyway, they do a, sh- a fucking shitty investigation that no one seems to give two shits about. And uh, yeah. they send Data down there by himself to go fix it. And there's three Datas for a minute, and that's a real problem for me. And then he, he fixes <laughs> it. He puts the sledgehammer into the light. Mm-hmm. And uh, and everything gets gets fixed, and then the lady and Picard have a hollow date. Even though again, she's married and her husband is in sickbay. And that's okay. It lasts exactly forty five seconds. <laughs> yeah. So and they're in and out of that thing, and then uh, we'll always have Paris. That's the episode. I, he just wanted to show off the holodeck to make being a starship captain seem a little better. Look what I got. You don't got one hey. of these on your planet. Oh, you hey, check this out. Oh, you do. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, this one's mobile. We can fly around. It's it's large. We move. We move the whole ship. Hey, dog! Hey, biscuit! Yeah. Biscuit! What's what is this? What is this episode? Well, I'm gonna, can I just cut to the chase here? Yeah. P- please stop calling me biscuit. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a good fit. I was hoping that you were just doing a Dave Letterman game you're, with me because you're a real buttery biscuit, and that's why this is a good fit. For the life of me, I can't figure out why the guy wouldn't say, "Please stop calling me Pat." Or whatever it, it was. was. Uh, first, it was chief. Well, it's chief, and but then, then he had it was Debbie. 
Debbie. For the life of me, I can't figure out why the guy wouldn't say, please stop calling me Debbie. He thought changing it to Debbie would make it so easy that no one could fail, and yet people were still too polite. It would make his unwinnable game (laughs) possible for someone to eventually say the magic words, please stop calling me Debbie. (laughs) All right, so that's not the game we were playing. No. Okay, so this episode. That's legit your new name. Like, that's it. We know that this episode is mostly about Picard's past and just a little bit of a look into Picard's life, yes. um, which now that we've done math, and I don't know why I didn't do this when I was watching it, doesn't make any sense, but that's fine. He has a lot of growing up to do, that's all. He has a lot of growing He is terrified of women. Yeah. And their body parts, I assume. Oh, God. Well, they're very scary. Yes. Um, this episode is something about it's harmful to live in the past or try to repeat the past. Or something like that. It's right? amazing that, how close that sentence, that gibberish sentence, was to what I have written down. <laughs> well, because, look, because that's the best you can do, because it's not well articulated. But this is clearly the idea that they're going for here. We have t- little tiny time loops, and that's harmful in some respect. I think they just don't want it to happen anymore, but also it's definitely harmful for Mannheim. <laughs> yeah, he's not having a good time. He is, uh, Beverly is very clear that he is going to die. And uh, and meanwhile, Picard is has gone into the holodeck and he's reliving the past and he's because he's going to meet his old flame, etc. Right. Yeah. So it's like, but in the end, you you can you can never go home. See, this is a problem. I gave it three points. I I'm kind of amazed it got as many as three. Even if I could make more sense of it, I don't think it's a strong take. Yeah. The idea that you just have to keep moving forward and there's no time for living in the past because again is there a, a segment of society that's going to go no that thinks it is no yeah, that's exactly. where you live and that's where you live forever you live in the past stay there and if you are that person you probably are not self-aware yeah. enough like we know that archer's not that's right for instance we do know that about the character <laughs> yeah uh so, so so again it's three okay um, I, they didn't lose any points for me having to dig that take out because it was obvious what they were trying to do. Yes, if they had uh, bothered at all, it's just unfocused. If they had bothered at all to to try to try to make it that, they could have made it that. Right. Yeah, I have. Okay, something about time. Obviously, this guy's experiments with time are messing everything up. Meanwhile, Picard's facing his own past, messing with his comfortable present. I guess. But yeah. what's the take? Reliving what has already happened can be uncomfortable. Yeah, because the take can't possibly be. Don't try to build a time gravity yeah. generator. Uh, that would be so using, specific. Using the, using the energy of an asteroid that circles a pulsar. <laughs> that would be so specific and distant to us that it would be uh, very unhelpful. So it has to be, don't do what Picard is doing here, which is kind of wallowing in it. And you only see, there's only a little bit of it, right? Which is, and I guess this is sort of execution, but these things are tied hand in hand. Yeah. Picard doesn't want to say who he is. Yeah, right. By the way, everyone notices when yes, and when Troy's like, "Hey, you, boy, you're a mess right now." Yep. Maybe you know, try to analyze what's going on inside of you. It, sort of instead of doing that, he just fucking goes right to the holodeck to relive <laughs> it. He's like, "Well, you said to do this. You this said is to not an analysis, it. and it's not what she said to do." Yeah. Uh, so he is wallowing in it a little bit, right? Like, but it's not so clear what hurts him about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Whatever. So um, it was so unfocused that I gave it a one. 
Okay. I, and no, look, it's time related. It's hard to argue against that. It's time related, and that was the best I could do. Um, uh, all right. Okay. So, what did you think about the execution then? This was a Picard romance story with no real takeaway. Like, nothing happens with this lady to make it terribly difficult or terribly rewarding for Picard. Like, that's true. She shows up and then she's gone, and it's the same as it was before. So, it's like, it's a big fat nothing. Well, he gets to explain himself a little bit. Sort of. Do you know what I mean? Like, so he probably feels less bad about the thing he did 22 years ago when he was 38. <laughs> when he's older? When he's older than you are now. That's correct. <laughs> uh, and the B-plot is contrived mumbo-jumbo nonsense garbage. Um, it seems like they made this plot, and they didn't know how to get out of it. So like what I was complaining about last episode, the TOS episode, we have 10 minutes of data doing nonsense on the planet. Yeah, there's a little too much of it. That is like, completely unnecessary. He's like avoiding security systems. There's and, no reason at all for that laser fight. And uh, did they have like special effects budget left over? Or, like, I'm confused about what this was. And yeah, then, must have, I mean, because it's kind of a bot. Like you build the Paris set, yeah. which I will talk about for 15 fucking minutes for sure. <laughs> there's some good stuff in there. Uh, and then. And then I guess you build that little lab set, and then what? Like, the, you're just. You do one comp shot of the outside of that planetoid. That's just a matte painting. Yeah. Otherwise, it's that's just, it. Otherwise, it's just Picard moping. So, yeah. So, I think they just, like, so had ob- extra. Observation money. lounge, ready room, sick bay. And they didn't, they didn't know what to do, so we get all. Actually, I don't know if they even go into the ready room, but I did forget the fencing gym. We get, yeah, fencing gym. That's in there. We got, so we get three datas. Yeah. And. <clears throat> I couldn't have been less pleased with how that part, that plot went. The Picard plot was just nothing, but the the science plot, the science plot was so aggravating. Yeah, whatever the problem is with this time gravity thing, it's going to be fixed by uh, Data dropping a specific amount of antimatter into a hole in the planet. Yeah. There you go. The science hole, one presumes. <laughs> by the way, Data the whole time. And that will realign the system. That's what he says it will do. No, what he says is it should. He's not actually sure. <laughs> That's right. But go for it. Just throw it in there. Throw it. Throw a big old fat load of antimatter into that science hole and we'll find out what happens. And, and here is the thing. They didn't even study it. There's three of them antimatter grenades in that ice chest. Uh-huh. And the antimatter grabber is right there. They have, he was ready for it. The, they knew this was going to happen. <laughs> If it hasn't happened before. I mean, could they have been lazier and stupider about that plot? Nothing That's, about that was any good. It's not great. I'm not feeling good about my score. I gave it at a this two, point. dog. I gave it a two. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I, this was a really disappointing episode. And again, I understand now. <laughs> like, now I get it. There's always filler episodes, and I guess they always put the worst one right before the shit gets interesting. Yeah, look, I'm, look. I'm sure there is some degree of, okay, we gotta make, we gotta make six more episodes. We have four more stories. What do we do? Guys, what can we break? What, what we haven't do? we addressed? We thought this show was gonna be about Riker. That's not gonna work. But already we can tell that it's gonna be about Picard. We gotta pivot because Jonathan so now Franks. we need to know some things about Picard. Yeah, I think so. What'd you think? So you said you were worried about it. What'd you do? What'd yeah, you do? so I had given it a six. What? Hold on a second. What? 
<clears throat> you're too sick. It's not coming off right. It's, this is insane to me. Okay, go for it. Uh, okay, so there's uh, here's here's what I thought. Uh, so we a couple of times they do an there's an interesting trick or technique or something that happens here where twice we see the characters, they enter a time loop, they see a past version of themselves, and then we stick with the past version. And dialogue reveals that it was the correct version all along. Okay. And I found that jarring. Okay. Like, don't show me data at the front if it's going to turn out middle data is the real data. By the way, they had that conversation real quick. Hey, it's... Which one? Who is it? Ah, it's me. Oh, Oh, uh, no. What he does is he shouts, Me! It's me! (laughs) The the emotions on these three datas, dude. So emotion and contractions. Yeah, it's me! (laughs) Two things. Two things that someone told Data he couldn't do, but he really can. Oh, boy. (coughs) Sorry. Just the conversation is so quick. But here is the thing. I don't know how they figured that out, but okay. I think it's supposed to be jarring. Because so particularly when Picard, Wrecker, Data get into that turbo lift, and they have the red, and then, the red dwarf moment, and then the, they sh- yes the red dwarf versions show up, then the camera cuts to them, and it's clear that they have a continuous memory of both being inside and outside. Yeah. So I think that this technique is jarring. So I like that. Okay. Um. You are right that the Picard arc doesn't particularly. It doesn't resolve. It's just like it's. What do we get out of that ultimately? That Picard has a lot of growing up to do. Yeah, basically. I, I don't care for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's mean, true. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's like okay, great. Um, but you are sort of right that uh, the. It is not necessary in the least for Data to fight that fucking laser system. Because here is what has happened. They say, I hope Dr. Mannheim remembered to give me all of the security bypasses. He beams down. He didn't. He did not. He did not at all. Data shoots all of those lasers and then proceeds. Yeah. It serves no purpose. <laughs> it's just there to see Data dodge lasers. Right. So that does suck. So I'm going to downgrade it to a four. Okay. Because you liked the uh, time. The, the way I, yeah, I like that the, filmmaking the and storytelling films. technique. Yeah. 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 Because the obvious thing would be to do what Red Dwarf does, where you see the other versions of yourselves, then they fuck off in some way, but you stay with the version you were following the whole time. Right. And I think that if you were caught in a time loop, it would be more disorienting than that. Yeah. So the technique of switching to the other people and proceeding like you were them all along, I think, evokes that to some degree. Yeah, that's not bad. I get it. Usually, when someone tries to do a thing in Star Trek, it fails. We've seen it many times. But so far in in The Next Generation, it's working a little better. Like, again, it's such a little tiny thing, but Remick's uh, interrogations with the computer turnarounds as the personal cuts worked just fine. It worked very well, and again, I don't necessarily know how many times it had been used to that point. I've seen it 50 times since. Compare that to the bad filmmaking attempts in Deep Space Nine, and there's one this week that I absolutely will talk about. Good, I can't wait. Um, it's, it's such a little thing, but it's so dumb. Right. Uh, which fail, 
and and it, it kind of it, yeah, I kind of have to call out a, a little thing that works when it's just a technique like that. And I agree entirely because I think what has been separating TNG in terms of quality has been nothing but little things. I think yeah. there are a lot of little things that I didn't even before we started this project either notice or care about. But when you're doing a comparative project and you're watching them all in like together and you see the little things that TNG's uh, actors, Getting right. yes. uh, filmmakers, and even sometimes the writers when they're not having a dialogue monster do, you go, oh, well, that's, well, that's, like, a, that's like quality. You did a quality thing. I think to some degree, uh, TNG got a little bit of a head start here because uh, the writers had all kind of forgotten how shitty it was to work on Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and no, they got some good ones in. They got some good ones. They got they did bring back some of the old ones. They did, and yeah. they had the exact same experience they had. The but first by time. the time DS Nine started, all of those people had quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> now they were just taking anyone who sent in a script submission. Yeah. So that 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 hurts. Oh, um, yeah, we might have already talked about that. Where it's just like, and then we went to an open script submission, and it's just like, you yeah, know, good idea, and like, yeah, and then we yep. invited those people to become staff writers, and it was like, better idea. Yeah, you crushed it. Oh, and listen, they made they made some names with this dumb policy. Yeah, Ron Moore. So some of these people continue to be allowed to make. Ron film. Moore's making that fuck book. He makes he makes fuck book the TV show. That guy sent in Star Trek scripts that everyone ignored for ages, and then finally they let him come in and do one, and now that now he's now that's what he does. Then he's the fucking showrunner for Outlander. By the way, Ira Stephen Veer Bear. Bear, the showrunner for Deep Space Nine, yeah. also an executive producer on Fuckbook. Oh, good. They've been. They kept That's a joint family. effort from those two guys their... to show the French king can't take a shit and everyone <laughs> in the courts, like, standing around. Again, also, that's what I've seen. It's also all the wonderful old timey techniques for shaving your boosh or whatever you said. Dog, I tur- I was scanning through, I turned it on, one lady was teaching another lady about shaving her bush, yeah. and then the French king couldn't shit, and the whole court was watching. Yeah, yeah. so that's Ron Moore, and that's how he got his start. Was He was a yeah. weird nerd who wrote scripts for Star Trek and sent them in. So, yeah, but at, in this, at this early juncture in TNG, no one had figured out, don't write for Star Trek yet. Right, yeah. Um, what about world building? What do you think? Uh, there's some, but it's not amazing. Okay. It's not significant in most cases, so we see that the Enterprise has that fencing gym, which seems like an awful lot of space to set aside. I wonder if it's like the TOS one where it's just everything happens there, right? Like, I mean, it could be. I didn't see any tumblers. <laughs> maybe when the captain's using it, they fuck off. <clears throat> maybe. Uh, time and gravity are somehow connected. Um, we get a lot of looks at what Paris looks like in the future. It looked like what Futurama thinks Paris looks like. I mean, there was definitely a huge silver tube running through the legs <laughs> of the Eiffel Tower. And then some weird space pods flying around. That space pods flying around, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, the Zanza Men's Dance Palace is across the square from the Blue Parrot Cafe. Which serves blue concoctions. Yeah, it does. Uh, holodecks can still take really specific requests, like a specific cafe on a particular hour. Yep. Janice doesn't want to know how Picard did that, by the way, but he just said three sentences. Yeah, the computer is, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, very good at parsing very vague requests. Yeah. 
Exactly. Ironically, he adds warm spring day at the end of that description, but looking up what the weather was like in Paris on a specific day, probably the easiest part of that whole request by like a million times. Yep. It's like, oh yeah, I know what that was like. That's something that we could do now. Yeah. Everything else is not. Right. Yep. Uh, also, there are multiple dimensions. So I gave it four out of ten for world building. Okay. Uh, there's My Sharona 8. I don't remember what it's right. actually called. They haven't thought of Risa yet, so they're going to go to Saragon 8 or whatever. Um, how does science work in the 24th century? He went off to work on experiments with nonlinear time. Went off? In his own secretly. Where? Why isn't he working with other researchers at, like, an institution or something? Oh, he took a team of scientists. They're just dead when we meet them because they didn't want to cast anybody. Okay, because I was going to like, once the economy stops existing, do people just abandon institutional research and go back to their basements like it's the 18th century? I offer you this. There is no other reason for everyone to be dead. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, that makes what sense. O- what other story reason could there be for everyone to have been killed in, the, uh, in, a, in, in a different accident two weeks before the time loop started? To explain how he let the time loops get out of hand, because now he was working alone, I I don't think that comes up. Yeah. Pagos Minor? More like Legos Diner. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. I'm going to Legos Diner. Um, The the, the Vandor system? Okay. All, All the time stuff, which I didn't really follow or understand. Yep. And I it's also, not really clear what the implications of any of it are. I also, I guess, uh, time is screwy. I also had the Zanza Men's Dance Palace. Yes, <laughs> I give it a three. I wasn't sure what any of it meant. Yeah, really. The only the only interesting thing is multiple dimensions, and when he's uh, having his uh, ayahuasca trip, <laughs> he. Uh, he sa- I think he says something about life, like maybe there's some different kind of life that exists in between the different dimensions, or think- his mind is trapped in both places. That's really the only interesting stuff, and it, it's not going to come up. I think he asked whether life imitated art. Or, or art imitated life. Art imitated life, and then he said he didn't know. So and I- he was denied boarding onto an airplane because he was dressed like a tiger. That's right, that's what I recall. You know, it's amazing that um, a nothing reality show, what was that called? Airline? What was that called? Airport? Yeah, it was something like that. It was about an airline, and it was a reality show, and it was like, oh, all the crazy stuff they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, and we saw that one guy in a tiger suit <laughs> trying, waiting to get on a plane, and when the clearly the camera person asked him why he was just like a tiger, his answer was that uh, he didn't know, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? It's amazing how that has stuck with me yep. for many, many, many years. <laughs> that set off your bullshit detector 100% <coughs> to the point where it is now the prototype of bullshit exactly uh i'll i'll jump into characterization yes picard has got hobbies um yep. this is i guess like the genesis of fencing picard he will, he'll come back to this a few times where he likes fencing um it's like patrick stewart saw that this was a picard script and went oh nice I, it's acting time because in his first few scenes his every pause and inflection is like um Pregnant. Like, yeah, like a real actor. Yes. He acts a lot in this episode, at the yeah. beginning. In the beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of trails off, because I don't think anyone gives a shit about this. Episode. I think once he's got to start talking about time, gravity, and pulsars, he's... He's out again. He's checked out again. Yeah. Um, he comes back for their the, their little scene. 
where he tries to, to explain it, and she says she doesn't want the real explanation. She wants right. to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, well, we'll talk about it. Um, he goes to the holodeck to relive his old experience, but then he decides it's self-indulgent. Um, there we see the sober version of the weird horse laugh. Yeah. When the that's in character now. That is, I guess, we didn't realize that is not a thing that happens when he's drunk. That is just a thing that happens around girls. Yeah. Because he's scared. Of girls. This is why he was so bad with girls at thirty-eight. Because <laughs> he's got. The- and this is why Tapestry is the worst episode in the series. <laughs> It is the worst, because it ruins the wonderful theory that we have. It undoes this good work that I've been doing, that the we'll best explanation it. for all of this is that Picard is a virgin. I'm going to ask you to explain it in a minute, but... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then he feels he has to reassure Beverly that Janice is an old friend. Just an old friend. Yep. <laughs> when she walks in. Um, let's see, Troy? Oh, this episode could be called Subtext Becomes Text. Yes, exactly correct. Uh, Troy seems crazy worried about Picard having bad feelings about this whole Mannheim situation. Yes. Does she not trust this dude? Or can she sense that his distaste is stronger than his sense of duty? Because she gets right up in his grill about it. Like, she's real worried about him being like, Mannheim, huh? Mm." It's a good question. Um... Or, um, okay, so then she feels the need to stir shit up with Beverly. Yes. Walks in and starts being like, hey, you seen this chick that's around? This chick, she used to bang, she used to bang Picard. I know you like Picard, so let's talk about it. Finally, Troy escorts this lady to her weird date with Picard. Was Troy bored this week? (laughs) I think so. Was she just, like, crazy bored and needed something to do? She didn't want to do any psychology or interact at all with the man whose mind was in two dimensions at once. Yes, she avoids him. But... But she is in everyone else's shit. Can she... You know what it is? She can feel everybody's fucking emotions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she is sick of uh, this will-they-won't-they shit with Picard and Crusher, and she's just trying to bring it to a head. Yeah, well, she's got six more years of it, so... Yeah. You know, better fucking deal with it. Uh, this was the first time ever I wanted them to let Data finish his thought. <laughs> if it wasn't a hiccup, what was his better analogy? Exactly. This is the first, like... <sighs> like, uh, are we supposed to think that they cut him off because he was going to say it was a toot? Yeah, I, I, that's what I was or saying. But something, but like... But that doesn't make sense either, so what was his analogy? I want to hear exactly. it. Exactly. But they don't, they don't let him finish. Like, ah, oh, Data, shut up, as always. Um, also, is this the first time Data has been insanely sensitive about perceived racism toward androids? Uh, boy, it'll come up again. Picard's like, hey, go down to the planet. And he's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, send me down there, because I'm not a real person, and if I die, who cares? Okay, cool, I'll go down there. Like, relax. (laughs) No, for sure. (laughs) He explained why. You're better at handling the, uh, the weird time issues or whatever. And also, you're smarter than them, so... Just go yeah. down there and stop being a little bitch. Uh, then we get the joy of three. Also, you can fucking dodge lasers, as was <laughs> demonstrated in, the, in uh, Silicon Avatar. No, no. What, what's the name of that episode? Home Soil. Home Soil, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're good at dodging lasers. There may be lasers down there. There are definitely lasers down there. And it turns out there are lasers. He sent Data to the laser room, and Data wanted to know why. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay. Just cool. like that guy wanted to know why he had to go to the laser room. No, that's right. Send the android. That's cool. No, that's cool. I didn't know you were like that, but that's okay. Just send the android. Like, oh, shit. All right. So then we get the joy of three emo- over-emotional datas down there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know you hated that. The way Riker puts on his deferential tone and politely nods in Janice's direction is perfect. 
Uh-huh. He, it's 100% perfect. He is like, oh, this is Picard's girl. And he stops himself from eyeball raping her like he normally would. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, good to meet you, ma'am. <laughs> like, he was like, most polite nod. I love it. It's 100% so- correct. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the entire episode. It was amazing. Um, he's not really in the rest of the episode. He's, he walks around and he sees some other Riker. He doesn't do much. Um, no, he doesn't have anything to do in this, in this episode. Beverly's head turning around 180 degrees when she hears that lady call him Jean-Luc. Yes. Was, was pretty good. Yeah, dog, I hate to say it, but this episode was pretty well acted. Yeah, they didn't do a bad job with the shit that they were given. Yeah. And I think she basically just admitted she wants the D, right? 100% admitted it. Like, saying that she can't compete with a ghost from Picard's past suggests she wishes she She wants compete. to compete, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So, that's like you said, subtext becomes text. Yes, um, this is the episode where subtext becomes text, and I'm convinced that things would have gone differently if the head writer, Maurice Hurley, hadn't had Gates fired. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and then when she Because that derails it, for sure. By the way, she comes back, totally checked out. Yeah, it's completely different. three through seven, Gates McFadden is just like, I don't give a shit. Season one, Gates McFadden was like, oh, let's play this out. Let's see where this goes. Yep. Um, this was by far the strongest part of this episode was the characterization. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I still only gave it a five because mm. Tr- Troy bothered me, Data bothered me, uh, Picard kind of bothered me. But um, but I liked Beverly and, uh, and I, I loved that. I loved Riker stepping aside. um i uh i gave this a six in characterization okay uh i thought that it actually makes sense that picard's so out of his element around like he doesn't know he doesn't know how if it's okay to even let the crew know that he had a girlfriend this is by the way something he will struggle with forever yes like he cannot not be the captain uh, up until the very end of the show, when he sits down to his first poker game, yes, exactly. Yeah, the last he scene is the captain, episode. right? He in the very first episode, he tells Riker that he he can't deal with these kids, and he needs Riker to help him with that. Now we, he can't deal with women either. Yeah, it it makes sense. Okay, I uh, initially, like you, I thought the Beverly Troy thing was too much. But I thought about it a little more, and no, this is clearly what they were setting up in season one. Yeah. And it's, I shouldn't punish this show because I know what happens later. Yeah, that wasn't even my problem with it. My problem was just, what, what, is Troy, what is Troy's motivation? What is going on? She is the ship's counselor, and she can, she saw Beverly whip her goddamn head around. Does your counselor? But she saw it empathically. I know, but does your counselor just, like, walk into your place of business and be like, hey, uh, you, I know you got a crush on that guy. His girlfriend's here. Like, uh, if I had a therapist, if your therapist saw you do some shit like that, they'd say something. If I was in like a session, uh, would I think walk, if you would they just like walk up to my desk at work and be like, "Hey, come on, man, what's going on?" Like, say I was seeing um, a counselor at, who I worked for the company that I was with, so that way it makes more sense. It's not like a. It's like a, a an HR person or someone, and they were just like, "Hey, let's talk about your emotional issues with uh, with your boss." <laughs> Who, by the way, well, is your boss? They're already friends behind the scenes. We just don't know it. Okay. All right. Well, 
I mean, that's unless we are to presume that when we first see them exercise together in the mirror room, <laughs> that's the very first time they've done it. Uh, maybe it was. Uh, maybe I'm thrown off by the fact that they just call each other Troy and. Uh... Well, yes. <clears throat> Sorry, Troy. <laughs> the doctor. The doctor yes. has something. Very the doctor has something to very important to tell. I know. <laughs> sure, leave. <laughs> Alright, anyway, okay, I get it. Um, yes, they're setting up that whole Crusher Guard thing. Uh, I missed Worf in this episode. I know. He's had a few episodes now where he's had some nice little moments, but actually I think it kind of makes sense because nothing to shoot at here. There's no there's no advice he can offer. He is 100% a virgin. <laughs> he can't help Picard out with this. Yeah, sex has no place in his life, so yeah. he's made that very clear. <clears throat> Um. Yeah. Anyway, I give it a six. Um. Let's. Uh, why don't you run through quick hitters? I got math to do. In the twenty fourth century, you still have to apologize for beating the captain at something. That that guy in the beginning. Well, that guy thought he did for sure. <laughs> he's fencing with Picard, and he gets him, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I was a. Uh, I'm a real cheater." I oh, I took advantage. I'm, he said, uh, I'm, uh, "I'm the biggest cheater, and everyone knows that about me." I so. oh, I should not have done that. So, uh, that's still something. Um, yeah, that sucks. It was awesome to see Worf at tactical, but then, like you said, I think the tactical position is some kind of weird plot black hole. Where yeah, a little bit, right? Because just like Tasha Yar wouldn't have had anything to do in this episode, no Worf. Once you're standing there, they, they just forget about you. He answers the hailing frequencies and fucking that's it. That's the end of him. I would like to hear... Oh, well, look, 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 there's no Jordy in this episode either, but, like... Yeah, he's has, like, a couple comments on the bridge, and he, he, like, looks at Data when Picard's like, Oh, I'm the captain! The captain's calling you! This is, this is me, <laughs> the captain of the Enterprise! Yeah, Jordy doesn't have much to do either. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I would like to hear Mannheim's theory about time and gravity. Yeah, me too. Why would you just say that, that... There's a relationship between time and gravity. That's his theory, and then I, I would like to know more because that sounds important. <clears throat> Picard forgot one instruction for the holodeck. Do you, do you know what he forgot to tell the holodeck to do when he was programming the Paris Cafe? Mm. He forgot to ask it to make it more sultry. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't say blondes and jazz. Yeah. Uh... But that was what you were saying earlier, was that the Holodeck does another amazing job of going, yeah, I get it, I know exactly what you want. Well, not only that, but he puts, the Holodeck puts a weird, like, face-randomized version of Janice into the scene. Does it know? Unless this, he did not tell the computer to put a A woman whose lover never shows up story in the fucking holodeck. Did he, did, the, he, did he say to the boy, holodeck? Boy, the computer does it anyway. On the way down to the holodeck and we didn't see it, did he tell it to prepare his stories? Yeah, I guess so. Because he, there is a, a thing plays out there. Hey, make, make there be a woman there who's waiting for a man who never shows up. Also give her a friend who's like, he's not gonna show up. By default, does the holodeck procedurally generate stories? It's, dog, I think the holodeck just like... In the second that it was going, just fucking looked at a security camera from Cafe des Artistes, but then for some reason it just didn't. It didn't make the people perfect images. <laughs> Maybe you gotta tell the computer to do that. Otherwise, it just hits the hits the randomized version on the character creator five times, and then you're good. These are questions that should have been in the world building. I'm, I don't know how it all works. Yeah, what's in, what they show is plainly impossible, but that's fine. It's no different from when Riker asks for a specific club. In New Orleans, yep. In 
uh, does he give a year? Uh, he, I think he gives an era. An era. And he says like late 20th century or something like that. Right. But lists a specific club and time of day, and the computer's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Got it right here for you, bud. <laughs> You're not the first person to ask for this. This one, this is easy. Yeah, Cafe des Artistes on April 9th, 22 years ago. Got that in the system. On a warm spring day. No problem. Yeah. Picard has been away from Space Paris for far too long. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about the accordion player? Okay, dog. <laughs> the, so there's... So because... It's Space Paris. Because they didn't trust us to recognize the Eiffel Tower or the fact that he <laughs> said Paris. Right. They had to put a little French waiter in there. Yeah. Dressed up, holding the menu, saying mon dieu and shit. Right. And they had to put accordion music in there. But they thought we should see where the accordion music was coming from in case we were like, they don't have speakers in the future. Like, you couldn't just be playing accordion music. (coughs) So they put a guy in the back. And he's got three laboratory graduated cylinders. 100% what they were. That's not a joke. With like, that's what the prop department found. With like clear plastic or Lexan rings on the outside, and he's giving them hand jobs. He is jerking. He's giving them slow handies, and that's what's making the accordion sound. It's a space accordion. Yeah. So here's what I wrote. Hey, what's up with the guys? Lexan rings on laboratory glassware accordion. <laughs> but then, because I knew you hadn't watched it yet, I made sure you would look at that guy. I'm glad you did because I've never noticed him before. But that yep, made me, me wonder what his instructions were what on set what did they tell that yeah. guy because he wanders They're, around jerking those they, tubes they brought that guy in yeah, and right. he's probably an extra in 15 star trek episodes yeah. because they use the same people all the time right. this time they put him in a little babylon 5 suit yeah they did you know which is just a regular suit but the lapels are a different shape right and they gave him someone glued three beakers three graduated cylinders onto a board and strapped it around <laughs> his waist and just told him to jerk those things. Jerk them. Jerk them good. And I guess told him this, you're making music. Act like you're playing music. Yeah, so he's like waltzing around going from table to table and I I am very surprised I've never noticed that guy. Because he is, once you notice him you can't look at anything else. Oh, I know. <laughs> I had to redo the scene like three times because I was afraid I was going to miss something for the notes. I know. Look, when they went in there, I was like, oh, I should pay attention to this. Yeah, there's going to be is, details. They're showing me Paris in the future. Right. And my first thought was, uh, so like they had someone doing a video conference in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. Uh just okay. on a pane of glass, which I was like, all okay, right, I guess that's something. But then I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That's basically a phone booth. They're not going to have phone booths. So someone's going to have a little device, or they're going to have a just have a com badge or something. They're not going to go to the Cafe des Artistes and then go to the special phone booth that's in the cafe. Hey, can I use your phone booth? Hey, I got to make a call. It's really important. Uh, you have to buy something. No, I, I just got. I'm going to be. I'll be real quick. I'll be real quick. Don't look at the woman's face. I'm talking to. I know it's. <laughs> you can see it from like several angles because the whole thing's transparent, etc. Privacy, but please. You can I have some privacy here. <laughs> Can you tell that guy to stop jerking off those beakers? I can hear that. I can hear the music <coughs> from here. I'm in the room, so you're shitting up my conference call. This is important. I need it. This is a job interview, and it's very <laughs> important. I don't have one of these at home. I had to come and use yours, so I'll order uh, a coffee. All right. But yeah, I sort of and and like the waiter's menu is just a clear piece of plexiglass. 
It doesn't even look like they've painted a menu on it. They were going for it. They're like, what's the future like? Um, Seems like it'd probably be pretty hard to read. (laughs) Like, pretty low contrast. Right. Right? Yeah. But Um, then when I saw Accordion Man, I kind of stopped noticing other things. I saw the tube going under the Eiffel Tower. I saw the shuttle pod models flying in the air. Yeah. Well, I wanted you to explain because you had uh, drawn my attention. Yeah, like no, like I said, once I saw him, it was hard for me to see anything else. Uh, Apparently, you don't have to wear much to the cafe in the future. Yeah, there's no dress code there. That, that woman is wearing a t- tube top. That is generous. And a skirt that is mostly slit. She's wearing like a coconut bra, basically. <laughs> it's almost a coconut bra. Fucking ridiculous. Um, but it's okay because Janice still sort of dresses like that. She well. On the top she does, on the bottom she's wearing some real baggy pants. she got some palazzo pants. With some crazy 80s boots. Yeah. That are horrible to look at. But she's got a shirt that is more apron than shirt, except that it's got a lot of collar. Yeah, it's, it's, the collar on this shirt is distinctly vaginal. Yes, it is. Labial would be more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Distinctly labial. Then there are no sides at all. These are both Gene Roddenberry notes. Can That's you make correct. the collar more labial? And then also, I don't want any sides on any outfits. Please, I would like the side boobs to just hang free if we can do that. Yep. Yep, exactly. Except, for some reason, Rick Berman and Michael Piller let a woman this flat-chested into Star Trek. That lady's somebody, right? She's, um... I don't recognize... I didn't recognize her, but maybe. Um, she's one she of was the, somebody in 1987. Isn't she a Phillips? Oh, is that a, one of the Phillipses? Let me, let me look it up. Uh, Janice Mannheim. Star Trek, just to be safe. Well, that explains how she got through. Um, Because those perverts would never let a flat-chested woman on. mm. Unless they were going to pad her bra. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Michelle Phillips. Yeah, that's one of those Phillips. That's one of them, right? I thought I recognized her. Yeah. Is that the one who banged her dad? I think that could be the one who banged her dad. Oh, she was banging... She probably went home from this and banged her dad. Yeah, yeah, Mamas and the Papas, yeah. So, I, I recognized her. I knew that was a Phillips. Okay. Like the way when Marchand sees somebody, she wonders if they're a Howard. I was like, that a Phillips? Okay. Well, that explains it. That's how she got on. Right. Despite her no boobs. Right. Because um, that costume is designed for side boobs. Listen, it's fine if you're small chested. I'm not saying anything against her. I'm just saying the weird pervs that run this show would never have allowed it. I would also like you now to lay out your evidence for one of the better theories coming out of this project and the last run through we did of these episodes before we started the project, which is Picard the Virgin. Because right. I feel like this so, is an important episode in that. The evidence is is fairly sparse, but his interactions with women are very bad. Mm-hmm. Fearful, as we pointed out. He seems, he's, he's terrified. He seems very uh, He's terrified of women. He's terrified of children, I think, because they come out of women. I think that's correct. I think he's afraid that he might accidentally have kids someday. Right. Uh, he couldn't pull the trigger with this Ginny's Mannheim. No, like a hundred percent couldn't he straight up tells her he left because he was afraid of her then she gives him an easy out by saying that he was afraid of being ordinary which by the way is a hundred percent what she is afraid of yep that's why she's with manheim starfucker for sure she doesn't want to be ordinary so she's projecting that and he takes it (laughs) yes he does he's like yep yeah, he's like, oh, how am I that transparent? Yeah. By which he means, oh, that's good. <laughs> and she's like, only to me. We haven't seen each other in 22 years, but I know you so well. 
essentially, it, it is implied eventually that he is intimate with Vash, but... We don't see it. We don't see it. They are fully clothed. They're in a cave. In a cave. And in yes, a non-sexual they do, situation. They kiss, and we, they lay down in the sleeping bag, but we never see any of the TV tricks where someone's right. putting their shirt back on... Exactly. Or anything like like they. I don't know. I'm not convinced they necessarily knocked uh, the boots. Right. Uh, he's not seeking Jamaharon. He's 100% not there to fuck. Makes it clear. Makes it very unhappy with Riker that he's trying to get him fucked. It's not so much that there's direct evidence that he is a virgin. Mm. Okay. It's just. It explains it a is lot about him. 100% consistent with his on screen behavior. I think it explains a lot of the things about Picard. Yes. If you go, oh, I get it. He's a virgin. Yes. Okay. He, like Steve Carell, he missed his shot, and it's just getting worse for him. And now he's going to ask a woman, is it true? <laughs> that if you don't use it. That if you don't use it. You lose it. You lose it. <laughs> yep. Yes, he is going to describe boobs as being like a bag of sand. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, everybody caught Picard acting creepy when he made his first hail to that planet. Yes. He goes, "This is Captain. Mm, this is the captain of the Enterprise," and everyone on the bridge is just like, "Oh, what? Well, what happened there?" Making looks at each other and shit. Incidentally, it is not the first time they catch him. Troy catches him yeah. when he's slapping his towel against his hand nervously. Well, she can also sense emotions. So she's kind of a yes, but you see her eye line go to his hands doing that. Yeah, it's good towel acting from Picard, and it's good eye line acting from Troy. Yeah, the acting's not been bad, which is very surprising because I think of the show is so cheesy in season one. Yeah. but it is. It's just the, it's the writing and plots. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Data's explanation when they see the other them's in the uh, turbo lift is like startlingly similar to Rimmer's in Red Dwarf, which is why I said that earlier. <laughs> like, even the way he ends up confused at the end, I was just like, man, that was like just like that Red Dwarf episode. Um, what's with that? Uh, that Red Dwarf episode didn't exist yet, so they stole it, not Star Trek. What's up with that creepy fucking transporter chief? Why did he say they were lucky to make it back at all with a half smile? Yeah, I definitely wrote, don't like this smarmy transporter, Ensign. He's a murderer, right? He just brought back Riker, Data, and Worf. Yeah, it's senior staff. They want to know what's going on, and he's like, you're lucky you made it back at all. Like, like half smiling. Like, uh, if they really are lucky to have made it back at all, you're pro- you should not be smiling right now. Hope that guy likes manning a telescope in deep space. <laughs> He's done. He got transferred to that station with Aquiel for sure. Yeah, that's the guy. He's the guy, Lieutenant What's-His-Name. He's Lieutenant What's-His-Name. They gave him a token promotion <laughs> to send him off there. That's right. Yeah, I was. I did not like that guy at all. Uh, I have yeah. the worst actor, Dr. Mannheim. I'll let you decide later. Um, I, though I do, again, wish he was played by Will Forte. Oh, I gave it to his wife. I gave it to Janice, and it's for... It is for her acting in the emotional scene in the observation lounge with Picard. Yeah, it is pretty rough. Uh, bitch, you know it wasn't raining that day. Picard said it was a warm spring day. Yep. This is why I have a lot of questions about what happened on that holodeck and what he was creating and whether or not 22 years ago was when he did it or if he just picked that date. Because she said Maybe. multiple times that that day it was raining. 
Hmm. She says she was caught in the rain waiting for him. And he hmm. clearly described to the holodeck warm spring warm day. spring day. And it, no, it could be sunny. an afternoon shower. He didn't say well, it was okay. sunny. So she said it rained all day, and she waited for him all day, caught in the rain. So I came out of that going, no, wait a minute. What did he program, and or is she misremembering? Something is happening. All right, so, let's, so an alternate theory is that this didn't happen 22 years ago. Right. But 22 years ago, he went to the Café des Artistes okay. he... to wallow in it uh... from when it really happened, let's say 15 years before that. Let's hope. I mean, really. We know he was out of the academy. <laughs> yes, let's hope. So it. he was already too old for this nonsense. Let's hope it was early twenties, please. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I because that's why I was saying earlier. Well, we'll see. I have some things to say about that because she mentions multiple times that it was very rainy, and I just went, "Nah, hold on a second, bitch. Don't well, call Picard a liar. You said it was well, a war." Okay, so let me, let's let me say this: he wasn't there. It's possible he was in space already. Yeah, maybe he don't know what it was. Maybe he doesn't know what the weather was That's there. I don't know. I'm confused about it. Who is misremembering or were those different He things? wants it to be a warm spring day in the version where he goes there. Ah, uh, I see what's happening. This is good stuff. It's, I love that when we get to fix what the writers are doing. This is good yes. stuff, what we just did. <laughs> we it made would him be a, so a full-time fucking job. We made him so hopeful. In the, you're right. In the perfect scenario, where he, the one he doesn't regret, where he went back and he met her there. And everything yes. worked out because he wasn't afraid of ladies and vaginas. Incidentally, it sucks, right, that he always imagines that she did show up and he stood her up. I know. He doesn't want it to be the scenario where she didn't show up either. Neither one of them wanted this. He's not guilty of anything. It's true. By the way, I don't know. Is that because he, he still wants her to have liked him? Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> he wants to have rejected her. He does not want it to be like she wasn't that Yeah, he wanted to be invited, even if he didn't want to go to the party. That's right. Fuck this guy. Um, <clears throat> again, how hot and heavy were these two that they can just pick it up a million years later and say stuff like, you're wonderful. Am I that transparent? Yeah. Only to me. Lady, this has been so long. Why is a woman of her age wearing that shirt? God, yeah. Well, yes. This girl talk between Troy and... But, no, here's, here's what I'm asking. Like, What was she wearing 22 years ago? Oh, well, that's not, like the lady in the cafe? She was, she was wearing that boob tube. Yeah. And, and showing most of both of her legs, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yes. I think that wardrobe was accurate. Uh, she doesn't have a French accent, though, which that lady did, so I don't know. Oh, uh, this is a good question. So, which of the characters in the show do you th- do you think <laughs> actually speak French? Okay, it's a good question. I, we know it's unclear that Picard does, unless the French accent has radically changed in the next 300 years. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even mean characters. I meant actors. Oh, which okay. of these definitely actors? not Patrick Stewart. Okay, so not him, and that was clear. When he says the yeah. Café des Artistes, and I said, yeah, that's how I pronounce it. So that's I am I inclined to say not Jonathan Frakes because of how he says Jean-Luc when he says it. <laughs> okay, yes, for sure. Of the people who tried to speak French in this episode. Oh, in this episode. The people who tried to speak French in this episode. Which ones actually speak French? There was Boobtube, Boobtube's friend, the waiter, Picard. That might be the only people we hear trying to speak French. None of them. Okay. I thought it was possible the waiter. I thought it was possible. I thought definitely not Boobtube's friend. She no. sounded terrible. Yes. Definitely not Patrick Stewart. And I was very sure that it was not Boobtube either. Here, here's what I want. If we're remaking this, can we recast Boobtube as Mireille from French in Action? Yes, please. <laughs> yes. I would like that very much, please. Yes, please. It was the right era. We can do this. 
Yeah. We can make this happen. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, if we're going that far, let's make the uh, let's make Paul Mannheim the crazy old man who hosts French in action. Yeah, let's just recast. Those people need a job. Yeah. Let's we don't need work. the American boyfriend from French in action. I forget what his name is, David or something. But there's no place for him in this. There's just not a young man's role. No. So but he, yes, he let's doesn't look out. Definitely let's get Mireille and uh the old, and the old professor. All right, moving on. The girl talk between Beverly and Troy made me very unhappy. I didn't like listening to it. MVP, I said, fuck, Data, I guess. I hate him, but he's the only one who tried to do anything. It's true. Picard just had a lot of emotions. He didn't do well. Even he had that self-indulgent, yeah, you racist against androids moment. I didn't like it. I didn't like him at all. But it's but he's fought those lasers, and then he put the thing in the hole, and no one else did anything. Picard had to tell him to cool his circuits, which is what they would have said if it was Voyager. <laughs> Tom Paris would have said it. Yeah. Uh, that's all my quick hitters. <clears throat> it was yeah, plenty. you got a lot. You got a lot of mine. I mean, Worf at Tactical, so that's fun to see, but it turns out meaning he's not in much of this. I like that Picard goes back to put his toys away. That's true. He's I like, just don't believe that anyone keeps a fencing saber in a fancy case like that. Because those blades break all the time. So, it's like your fencing weapon is just not special in that way. Yes. That you keep it in a dark wood case with purple velvet interior. Like if you're a pro baseball player, like no no reason to box that bat up. Exactly. You're break it in a minute. <clears throat> yeah. Although I've never broke when I used to look at bats. So. Um... Did you see when Picard leaves the holodeck the first time, he does a weird, like, stop and then start walking again at as he gets to the end of the holodeck? And I couldn't decide if that was for green screen reasons or because he was going to run into the camera and he needed to stop. <laughs> but both both were behind the scenes related. Either way, it was a little bit jarring. I loved the side eye from Beverly when it turns out Janice knows Picard. Yeah, dude. Again, her head fucking fully rotated. <laughs> She almost said, what? (laughs) Some lady knows his name. Hell no. A lady knows his name? Yeah, she was. uh... Uh, Riker had one of these great moments that he gets a few times, especially in this early, in this first season, where someone says something complicated, then he goes, of course, or and of course, and then, you know, finishes with something very simple. Very good at pretending he knows what's happening. I love it. I love it because it's so clear that, because the actor sounds so dumb that the only way, the only takeaway you could have <coughs> is that the character had no idea what was happening. Yes. That we will not fall for him saying obviously. Exactly. He's not tricking me. That's why I love that. Like, they, you're right. They were like, Frakes, Will Riker's going to be the main character. And then they had spent like 10 minutes with Frakes and they went, oh, we got to redo the whole show. <laughs> oh, fuck me. The whole fucking show's broken. Oh, Duncan Regeer's doing that other show about being a Mountie or late? something Is now. It's too late to the get Duncan Regeer. What the fuck Ruggier are we going to do? Or the guy who plays O'Connor. Let's get O'Connor back. He's tall. Let's get him. It's like, nope, too late. You're stuck now. Uh, and I thought it was a slightly nice touch at the end when Janice implies that she's with Manheim because she didn't want to be ordinary either. I uh, give best actor to Crusher. It's with a question mark. I thought many of the cast did a reasonable job this week. Obviously, it wasn't going to be Data. I gave worst actor to uh, Janice Mannheim. Uh, Crusher had the benefit of 
um, being one of the better characters, like yes. more realistic characters this week. So I think that's why her acting maybe seems yep. better. Matthew, I gave it uh, 17. You talked me down from my initial 19. Okay. You gave it 11. Oh, boy. That's very low. That's not a good, that's, for TNG, that's very low. And it, it also means that we're flipped on another score, too, because it means my top three aren't your top three. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we share just the scores with each other. Yes. Without saying which uh, Just the top. set of scores without it telling you, indicating which is which, just as an indicator of what the week is like. Yeah. So I know that now I know that this is your bottom score, yeah. and this was originally my third place score. Okay. I think it might still be. I forget what the. I think it is. I think. I think it is three. just based on what's what's left to do. But oh, wow. um, you had two episodes worse than this one. I fucking hated this episode yeah, so much. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So uh, it's a twenty-eight. That is well below TNG's average, which is uh, was was at thirty-six uh, before this week. So I'd have to check given, Andrew, but I don't know if I've given a worse score to a TNG episode. Oh, that's a good... Well, worse than an 11? You've probably only given three scores worse than an 11 overall. Oh, nope. Too short a season. You gave 10. Okay, there you go. <laughs> God, that one did <laughs> suck, though. That episode was real rough. <laughs> no one comes off looking good in that dumb episode. <laughs> no. And also, it, it really does uh, does make you wonder what the Federation is. That's one of those first ones. The, one of the first times you go, wait, what is this? What's this whole that, Federation thing? It was literally was the first time I ever had that thought was last year when I had pneumonia yeah. and I was watching this one and because I, I watched most of the first season in like five days when I had pneumonia yeah. and I got to this one and uh, that one and I was like what the yeah you're what right. is this planet Pic- and what is the federation I was very disappointed in Picard because he really does he's very irresponsible in that episode yeah anyway <laughs> so anyway this episode's better than that one although not necessarily more interesting than that one yeah. Uh, yeah, 28 is very low. And when you consider that TOS got 52 this week, they're going to pull significantly ahead. uh, TNG had a seven total point advantage over TOS coming into this week, and they were tied on wins. But now TOS is going to be in the clear on both of those again. All right. But we watched three more episodes this week, including Invasive Procedures. <laughs> Deep Space Nine is temporarily evacuated due to mm-hmm. Tell me about it. some kind of plasma storm. <laughs> right, it's happening again, dude. And we see that Quark has planted some kind of device in an airlock. Wait, why did the card? Well, never mind. I, I, I don't want to interrupt your whole thing. No, go go, go ahead. Why did the Cardassians want to be there so bad? It's the worst solar system in the whole galaxy. It has to be. Dude. Shit the, is constantly popping off here. All of the worst storms and fucking anomalies and weird aliens, they all fucking come to that place. Yep. Fuck it. I don't know. The Cardassians, I guess, must be extroverts. You're right. They're willing to deal with it. They'll just put up with it. They just want to be where the action is. On an adventure. A transport ship in distress docks, and a mixed race group of Klingons, Trill, etc., aboard the station. In what. Like, I get that there should be less racism in the future. Why doesn't Odo immediately go, Duh, this is bandits. This is some kind of bandits. Yeah. Why are all these different races hanging out together? Especially Klingons. They seem real racist. 
Because it's always like in Starship Mine. Like whenever they have one of these groups, they got to have a couple of aliens. Thank you for saying Starship Mine because the parallels are so obvious. I don't even really want to talk about them. It's a, it's, it's a lot like Starship Mine, but it's worse than Starship Mine. Somehow it manages that. Which is not a good episode. Yep. Uh, they board the station and force Odo into a locked bucket. Then they have no trouble taking control of the station. The trill that's leading them, it turns out, is there to steal the symbiont Dax, which is inside Jadzia Dax, which he believes is rightfully his. For reasons that they don't explore at all. Yeah, I, I guess we are allowed to believe that he wanted... <clears throat> He was in the initiate program, and I guess he must have thought he was in line for that specific one, but they don't really... You know, later he says he did the research, and Dax is the one he's most compatible with. And that makes it like maybe he had nothing to do with Dax at all and just looked right. her up. Yep. But then, but but this is, but definitely, this is rightfully his. This particular one is rightfully his, and... Well, he's anyway, an insano. Maybe that's fine. He's an insano. Um, as Bashir performs the surgery that he knows will kill Jadzia... Cisco has a useless fight with a Klingon in Ops. Who plays that Klingon, Matt? Uh, that would be uh, one half of Tuvix, Tim Russ. That's, that's right. The worst half of Tuvix, Tim Russ. The worst Tim half of Tuvix plays him. First, first quarter second I saw that Klingon, I went, that's, that's Tuvok. That's Tuvok That's right uh, it's Tuvok as a Klingon. No. Yeah, it's not difficult to tell. Right. Um... Uh, Kira's mad at Quark for letting them all onto the station, which, by the way, he did. Yeah. I know I left that out. He let them onto the station. Yeah, uh, to be fair... And now they've taken over the station, and they're going to kill Dax. To be fair, he was not... Uh, uh, he was tricked, too. He thought they were there to make some kind of deal together or something. Yeah, he thought they were going to buy his data chains. Yeah. His DNA-encoded data chains or something. So for once, uh, he was the one getting tricked. Yeah. Oh, he still definitely but yeah, conspired yeah. to let a bunch of people onto the station. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kira has words with him about it. And uh, Cisco starts playing a psychological game with the Trill's girlfriend, Mareel, uh, by telling her that he's going to be different once he gets that their symbiont in him. Um, then he shows up on the bridge, and Cisco plays nice with him to just try and talk him into returning the symbiont. Right. Which, he seems mad that it doesn't work. <laughs> yep. Like, he's playing psychological games the rest of the time, but I felt like he was really mad about this one. That's right. This was not part of the game. So then Cisco has no choice but to continue his psychological assault on uh, the girlfriend. Uh, Quark attacks a Klingon in Season 1 TNG Ferengi style. Jumps on his back. In order to get a trip to the infirmary so that he can help Bashir get Odo out of his bucket. I don't know why he thought that him being in the infirmary was going to be real helpful. I have to dispute this. He is not aware that Odo is in that bucket. Uh, no, he is because they march him in there the whole time. They march him. He's in. He's at the scene when they put Odo into stasis. Well, the, oh, so he's not the one who goes. Wait, Odo's in there. Somebody is seems very surprised that Odo is. In Bashir there. is surprised that Odo. No, no, in no. There. When Bashir pulls it back out, he's like. What do we need this box for? And then he's like, oh, maybe that's, maybe I'm thinking of Bashir. Maybe it is Bashir. All right, anyway, 
I don't know. I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish or why he thought that once he got to the infirmary, he'd be able to do something. Uh, he was doing uh, he was doing the Marcus math from Babylon 5, and uh, he knew that 4 minus 1 equals 2. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I think he just read the script. I think you're correct. And he knew he had to get to the infirmary for the next scene. He found the script, and it was on. It was in ops. He found it. Yeah, the script was sitting in ops. It was where uh, Bashir got that first aid kit out of that center console. That's where it was. Uh, they break Odo out. They didn't really need Odo. Like, all he does is just show up at a place later. Right. Uh, the trail, whose name is Varad, I haven't said it so far, takes care of hostage, and they try to uh, get to their ship and escape. Uh, leaving Muriel behind, which is the final straw. Like, that's when she realizes that this dude is different and doesn't care about her and also maybe never did. Yeah. It's not clear. Uh, but Cisco uh, stuns him with a phaser. And then... Risking killing the symbiote, I guess. <laughs> but yep. everything's cool because Bashir returns it to Jadzia and everything's just cool and fine from then on. Everyone's, gr- everyone's going to ride Crescent Fresh from here on out. It's uh, just from here on out. Yep. <clears throat> what, um... What's this dang old episode about, check Matthew? It, check it, check it. You don't know what you got till it's gone. This lady... Well, don't it always seem to go. This lady thought she was going to get new and improved, weirdo. But she didn't like the changes. And, um, in a way, Quark 2 didn't really appreciate his sweet DS9 fam until he thought he fucked it all up, maybe. Um, low concept and nothing to apply to, like, society in general. Just, like, a good way to look at shit, I guess. I gave it a four. Okay. Uh, I thought this was about something different, but it will sound familiar, which is no use dwelling on what might have been. That sounds like the last episode, kind of. It's very like the last episode, although I watched this one first. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, but I only thought that was worth a two. Well, it's not, because, again, it's so, like... It's just so... Yeah, okay. So? Yeah. So what? Why is this a sci-fi story now? Why are we doing this on Deep Space Nine? Because they wanted to do a caper kind of weird episode. It is a caper. They have to retake the station from the people, from the four people who have the station. Well, you know, they had a skeleton crew on DS9. We'll talk about it. That means five people or whatever. That means only the yep. senior staff, exactly That's the what a skeleton staff. crew is on Deep Space Nine. Exactly, just the senior staff and that's it. No, even one other person. That's right. Fucking ridiculous. <clears throat> and Quark's there, but not wrong. <coughs> so, what do you think about the executions? So, it did earn a deduction. Okay. And the deduction that I'm giving it is minus one for the weird slow-mo ending. Yeah. So, at the end, when they're all in the sick bay or whatever, the infirmary, they call it on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And Varad is returned to his old pathetic self. He kind of slumps down in slow motion for no reason that I can determine. Yeah, because, um, well... He's not dead. The main point is, we don't care about him. That's right. (laughs) So, there's no emotional impact from showing him, like, Oh, I'm all down in the dumps. I'm just dumb old me again. (laughs) I don't care about this guy at all. Except now I'm probably going to be charged with attempted murder, assuming the Federation has a law to fit my crime off. <laughs> That's always the question. It's never not now, thanks to Picard. That's always the question. 
So I deducted a point for that bullshit okay. failed. So nine points is what you gave it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I said. Look, this was better than most season one episodes, but it just isn't about anything. Yeah. The setup for the empty station is very contrived. Especially since at no point in the episode are any systems affected by the plasma storm. They don't show a single reason why the station should have been evacuated. Yeah, if you can just put up your screens and you're fine, just put up your screens. Yeah. Like, the station doesn't shake, computers don't go offline, nothing bad happens, and then at the end they're just like, well, the storm's subsiding, I guess we can leave now. But the... Which is fine if you need him a reason that he's trapped there and he doesn't just leave as soon as he gets the symbiont. That's fine, but it doesn't explain why you needed to evacuate the station for it. Right. Um, but I guess it's a little bit something to get a look at the trill. It's really world building, but at least they're attempting that. Yeah. So I gave it three. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my take was the most coherent thing I could take away from this episode, but let's be honest, it was a dumb caper episode. Secondarily, a character episode where the guest characters took center stage. Which is why. Yeah. So, it wasn't really about, like you said, it wasn't about anything. Um, What I liked is it's nice to see somebody with good intel on Odo and do something about him. Yes. How many Klingon chairs does he have to become before word starts getting around all the villain hangouts? Well, this guy's guy's intel's not that good because when Odo becomes a fucking mechanics tool cart later... (laughs) He's just like, what the fuck's that doing here? Oh, well. Well, yeah, the plan fell apart once he was out of the box, for sure. Yeah. But at least he brought the box. That's true. And he got him into it. Like, that's pretty good. So I I enjoyed that somebody had done some research. That was cool. Uh, Yeah, flimsy premise. Literally the only people on the station were the senior staff and Quark. How could that possibly qualify as a skeleton crew? Isn't this Uh, the most strategically important sector there is because of that wormhole? Wouldn't they wait for, like, a flotilla to come by and offload crew onto that next door or something? Look, not only that, but also, the station is huge. Yeah. The computers don't work good. Right. You'd need more people than this. It's just baffling. Like, what powers the station? Okay, guys, when this show starts, there's O'Brien, Cisco, Dax, Kira, Odo, Bashir, and Quark. And Quark. That's seven people. Yeah. Okay, that is... <clears throat> it's It's seven people. Quark is not a crewman and can't do any crew tasks. Bashir is not necessary. If for the six remaining people that are on the station. When I saw all the times that I've seen Starship Mine. Yes. I thought that was a very contrived plot. A way to do fucking Die Hard in space or whatever. Right. But, but it's this. not. it makes more sense than this. Yeah, because the, they're going to sweep the, the sweep ship with something that will kill any people living on board. Yeah. And this ship is docked and tethered at a station. So, very contrived. Uh, only one fucking 50th as contrived as this. That's right. Um, uh, the Odo stuff and the fact that I wasn't completely offended by all of the action made it as high as a 4. I gave it a 4 on execution. Alright. Um... So it's not off to a great start. No, I'll, I'll jump into world building here. Yeah, what do you have for world building? Can we talk about Quark's fortune? How much? Yeah, it is, doesn't make any sense, and I wrote the same thing. How much is 600 bars? Because bars... It seems like it's a lot. ...are typically, as far as I can remember, described as, like, the biggest form of currency. Yes. It's the big one. You got strips, and you got... 
There's more. There's different ones. Um, I think it will change later. At one point, I thought Rom only owned five bars of gold-pressed latinum. I have written here. At various, entirely. At various times, even five of them are treated as a lot of money. Yes. 600 seems like a fucking ton. That's why there's slips and strips. Slips and strips, and thank you, yes. chits or whatever, yeah. right? But to, a whole bar of gold-pressed latinum is supposed to be a lot of money. Yeah. But Quark constantly complains about how he's not doing well. And I'm just right. very confused. Again, are we going to have to band-aid this for the writers and try to figure out why this makes sense? Because I don't want to. I'm not interested enough in the Ferengi to try to figure this out. So, yeah. anyway, just a question. Um, this is why it was better when there was no economy. Yes. Because the economy is something concrete that has to make sense. But it didn't last long But the Federation's nebulous no economy... You don't have to explain how it works. But it didn't last long because we ran into the Ferengi in season four of this. I mean, in episode four or whatever of this show. And the Ferengi, we knew, had an economy because they were traders, Yankee traders or whatever. Yeah, they have some kind of... Well, I mean, there could still be something like barter. But we don't know. We know that some things can't be replicated. So there has to be some system for dealing with that. But by the time the DS9 comes along, it's like, now we got it all. There's a currency and it's we got it all. In that in that Ferengi episode, by the way, they seem to imply that gold is valuable. Mm-hmm. They don't like that the Federation wears gold on their uniform. Yeah. Or they um, tell the Takan <coughs> portal that they don't like that. That's a sign of their savagery or whatever. Right. Yeah. They adorn themselves with uh, precious metals and they uh, force the females to wear clothing or whatever. Inviting others to unclothe them. Yeah, that's right. Just try it, shorty. She's dead. She's um, dead now. Now we know there's an emergency medkit in the center ops console, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yep. I guess that is something. Dude, this bitch grew up on the streets of Kefka 4, dog. Yeah, she did. I don't know what she really said. <clears throat> I thought she said Kefka 4, but I don't know. It was something like that. She, I think she, and she implies she was a prostitute, correct? Uh, I think it is strongly implied that he rescued her from prostitution. Um, and then all of the stuff about the survivability and relationship of the Trill pairing gets what was nothing up to a four. Yep. So, that's what I got. Yep, and I say yep because I also gave it a four, and yes, all of those points are because of the trail stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a bottle O'Brien has two brothers. Yes. I'm surprised you didn't say that. Okay, so, in the past when <coughs> I put that there, I don't, you've disagreed. You don't, you don't yeah. like that the character stuff counts as world building, so I, I didn't... Well, this is that. not even character stuff, but yes. Yeah, well, well for sure, because that will... I don't want to do spoilers, but I'm it ain't, sure it ain't coming up. That it ain't coming up. up. We're not going to meet him later. Yeah. We I know we've met both of Worf's two brothers. It's not going to happen for O'Brien. O'Brien's we don't know as little as we know about Worf, which I know from Michael Dorn. <laughs> very little. We know it's almost less. nothing if you ask Michael Dorn. <laughs> we know even less about O'Brien. Uh, yes. So the symbiosis evaluation board: one in ten trails are joined, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Also have a big old question in here. Is it intentional that Mareel looks a lot like Kareel Odan? Uh, yeah, I also noticed that. She looks like the original Trill design. At first I was going to be like, are there two types of Trill? Please say there's not. Please say there's not. Please say are there's not. Are we doing not. a thing where there are two species and that explains why Dax is spots but not forehead meat? Yeah. I'm, <sighs> I'm glad that they did not tell us that she was a yeah. Trill because that would have been a problem for me. So, like you, I gave it a, it's about a four in world building, and it's all for the trail, and that only matters because there's a trail on this show. Right. 
that's correct. And we've already had, we know a little bit about oh, uh, Law and the trail. Even if you didn't, even if you hadn't seen all the DS9s, I think you would know by now that there's going to be a lot of trail exploration. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> what do you think of the character work on this, on this fucker? <clears throat> well, I gave it four points also. Okay. Um, Quark is back to being a wild-ass criminal. Like, really, from week to week, he fluctuates from mischievous imp right. to arranges mercenary contracts and is into sexual trafficking. Yeah. Uh, usually, he does usually, not show remorse in this episode that Jadzia is going to die. He is usually treated as a, an imp, mischievous yes. imp, regardless of what crime he is committing. That is correct. Yeah. In... Yes, you're right. In Move Along Home, he's real upset that those four people are going to die in there. He's begging, please. In this one, and that was... Yes, what happened was his fault because he was a cheater, but also... He didn't know. What's up with the Wadi? Yeah, he didn't know that was that, that game could do that, that they had it's, those powers. It turns out Fallow's hard. Do you know what I mean? He just left the money, dude. He didn't even yeah. care. You didn't fuck money. But in this one, his actions are, are going to directly lead to Jedzia's death. Yep. He let the man on board who was there for the express purpose of killing her. Yes. yes. He, he doesn't care. It doesn't bother him. <laughs> he doesn't say it bothers him. We don't see it bothering him in any way. Okay, so what do you suppose is his motivation for helping, uh, attacking that Klingon and getting into the infirmary and all that? He them. knows Kira is going to kill him. Okay. Literally. All right. That's what, that's what I want. He's to trying to salvage something. Right. Um. Cisco seems a little bit more astute with interpersonal issues in this than we've seen before. Yeah, he definitely. Like he locks on to something in Mareel right away and knows that she's the weak point here, and knows exactly how to get to her. He works her. Yeah. And uh, Kira has a lot of trust in Odo. Yeah, she's like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Once Odo's free, you're fucked. Yeah. Well, you ain't getting out of here. So, good work from Cisco, bad work from Quark. I washed to a four overall. It's not Quark, it's not Armin Shimmerman's fault. It's character fault, not actor. But You don't need yeah. to defend him, it's fine. I knew yeah. you wouldn't dare to insult He's the only good you. actor in this show so far, so... Um, I give it a five. <clears throat> okay. You get the fun Quark Auto interplay in Act One, as you sometimes do. You get a Ferengi hiss from Quark during one of the bridge fight scenes. Uh, it's when he's hiding, when Kira gets her ass kicked by that lady. He does do the Ferengi hiss. Uh, he comes up with a brave plan, I guess, either because he's guilty about what happened to Dax, or because he's afraid Kira's gonna murder him. Um... <clears throat> Quark, when he jokes whether they really need to let Odo out of that box, gives a good dismissal noise and gesture to Bashir. I don't know if you saw it. I did. After he starts to object, he gives kind of like a, yeah, yeah, okay, I was just fucking around. <laughs> like when, when Bashir starts to be like, what do you mean? Yeah, again, he's the only good actor on the show. Exactly. And it, that was a small thing that I went, ah, oh, I kind of liked that. That was pretty good. He's the only one that ever appears like a real person on this show. So that's, yeah. despite the fact that he's playing the Ferengi. That's right. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien has two brothers, I put it here. I'm just trying to, I was trying to do you a, a solid, and then you were trying to do me a solid, I guess. Yep. That's how it goes. <laughs> it doesn't matter, because we it wasn't worth much either way. No, I know. And so I just said, okay, DS9. 
Okay. About O'Brien's two brothers. How thick is O'Brien, though, seriously? Dumb. He's After very dumb. After the Klingon has drawn a disruptor on him, he still thinks it's a rescue mission. Yeah. In case you hadn't noticed, friend, we just saved your lives. Like... Yeah, exactly. No, Doug, he's not... He's here. This is on purpose. <laughs> he's doing this on purpose. You didn't save his life. That was fake. No wonder this the Cardassian a... War lasted 20 years, dude. This is all a ruse. Do you remember when you saw Quark meditating in the <laughs> airlock earlier? You, you forgot that, didn't you? You're in, you remember how you're not suspicious anymore now? It's just like... This, these are the questions that I ask. Like, some, like, how did the Federation not defeat the Cardassians in 20 years, despite the fact that they are obviously so much better at everything? They had a bunch of smileys they running got around. a whole shit ton of O'Briens who don't understand Listen, anything. Listen, O'Brien was a sweet, naive boy who wouldn't hurt a fly. Until the Cardis. Until the Cardis made, like made him kill a person in a move that scarred him deeply and I think got him out of tactical and into engineering. Yeah, that's, I think that's correct. He's like, I need to do something else. That's why he's the transporter chief now. He was the tactical officer on the Rutledge. That's right. That's correct. Which also makes you wonder what the hell the Rutledge was. What piece of shit was that? He it is, must have sucked dick because he's, he he's an, an enlisted man. He's yeah. not even an officer. How does this work? This is not the Starfleet that we have come to know. The Rutledge was a PT boat in space. <laughs> That's right. It was an, they nicknamed it the Rutledge. It was actually PT-107 or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Cisco's kind of racist, right? A little bit. No, she doesn't know him, Benjamin. Do you know every human? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, the yeah, a trail showed okay, up. What the so fuck? it could be that, or it could be that he's talking about how Dax is rightfully his or whatever. He no, it's before that, that, isn't it? He hasn't said a single thing. They just both notice he's a trail. He's a trail. And it's like, yeah, there's Klingons here too, dog. Like, there's they got some different kinds of people. Okay, but so he sees a trail. Yeah. He probably assumes it's a joined trail. I'm guessing the trail that aren't joined don't get off the planet too much. They're definitely second class, right? Yes, but it's, I, I don't know what they do. <laughs> so he this sees is like, the, what are people like that aren't in Starfleet? What do they do? Who knows? He sees the trail. He probably assumes it's a joint trail. And then he's like, okay, in your eight lifetimes, maybe you knew one of his six lifetimes? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Does, do any of you in there recognize this guy? <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's a... Still it's not like if, if a one Klingon and then another Klingon walks in. Life expectancy in the Klingon Empire has got to be about 30 years, right? Uh, yeah. That's we never address it. We see plenty of old Klingons, but you would because we see powerful Klingons. But these fuckers must die young. Uh, I assume it seems like a rough lifestyle. Yeah, except what about the women that aren't in the military? I don't now, I feel we've like seen there are lots of them in the military. Yeah, I just feel like everyone's... If you, well, okay. This will be a question for a million episodes from now. How does their military work? It seems like it's all based on how it's like serfdom. Or it's like right, so we will get... It is a feudal will, system where you have like a private militaries that all come together to fight for a cause or something. I, I have been waiting to talk about this forever, and it, it's going to be so long before it comes up, and it's never, never mentioned in the show at all, but Worf is a prince, right? Uh, yeah, dude, he's of the House of Moog, and... Which is one of the major dynastic houses, it turns out. Yes, before it was disgraced, it was, like, one of the big noble houses there. Like, sure. we meet 15 he's people nobility. who were servants to the House of Moog at some point. Yeah. He's got that nanny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, when oh, his adult son shows up from the future pretending to be his 
gym lock or whatever they call it. He's yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. We had definitely had hella retainers. Political and military power out the ass for sure. Never, never comes up once, but Worf is definitely a prince. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. And again, if we ever get to it, we can talk all about what we think the writers are saying about the Klingon military political institutions. Yes. But, um, yeah, no, I imagine you don't live long in the Empire. <clears throat> anyway, still seems racist to me. With yeah, it, no, it comes off racist, for sure. Um, <clears throat> he plays the part of the shit stirrer with this lady, um, but this lady is written to be a dumb fuck. Yeah. For some reason, she is very concerned about what Cisco thinks. And I, maybe it's because we're supposed to believe she already has this inkling. I think she has low self-esteem and he... She's like hard ass and everything. She beats the shit out of Kira, and she's like running the oh, show. No, dog. Is Cisco a predator? Yes. Okay. That's how he knows. Well, when you did you hear him say the Alamarine rhyme? Yes. He's a predator for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying he's a diddler. No, yeah, I think it's adult ladies. I think you're right. I think it's adult ladies. It's but a Cosby a style. He's a Cosby style. I'm gonna have style to keep it. to keep a close. We know. <laughs> I was not happy with what we see of him meeting Jennifer. No. But that was adult Cisco who knew that they were married. Like, right? But what if that was that was how he played it when he was young too? Yeah, it could be. Mm. Mm. Um, Dax faces death stoically, but is not really in the episode. Yep. Which is fine. Uh, Bashir is initially defiant, but gives in and agrees to murder somebody. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> not sure how we're supposed to feel about that, uh, except, I guess, that it shows that the characters get into difficult situations where it's not necessarily easy to say what the answer is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I give it a five. Oh, that was still characterization? I thought we were already oh. doing No, dude, we just have so, many, we have so many interesting and cool ideas. <laughs> we are so cool and thoughtful. Uh, okay, I have some thoughts. Tell me to that, we, my waffle. that we haven't yet talked about. Do it. Odo is normally so suspicious. Yeah. Really weird of him not to even peek into that airlock where Quark was meditating, huh? <clears throat> to see the obvious blinking device on the wall. Uh, do you know why though? Yeah, because he read the script. He found the script at Ops earlier. <laughs> he was reading the script in his office earlier. Yeah, I see. I have to go down there and and then I, I'll i get locked in a box. All right, I got it. I got the beats. I got the beats at least. Uh, Tuvok here is the main Klingon. This was probably only months before he got cast on Voyager, right? Yeah, which means it was probably the same year as he was a black guy on Enterprise B? Yes. Okay. This was his first appearance in Star Trek. Okay. His next appearance was on the Enterprise B. Okay. No. Yes? Yeah, that's, that's right, because it was the year when after we, season when seven. We, this is well, season seven, so it's, yes, a year after this, he was No, be... so his first appearance was in Starship Mine. This is his second oh, appearance. fuck. Yeah, I forgot about Starship Mine. All right. No, he's one of the aliens yeah, in Starship yeah, yeah, Mine. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, that's right. Yes. Hmm. Uh, O'Brien gets phasered because Jordy isn't around. Sorry, I was still thinking about how Tim Russ is in Starship Mine and this episode, and yeah. they're the same episode. Okay, it's bad, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> that's why he, they probably that's why they cast him. They're like, why don't you get the guy who was in the other episode exactly like this? He got a uh, he got crossbowed to death or something, right? I forget what he gets done to him. Picard definitely crossbows somebody. I think so. 
because that action Picard. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, O'Brien gets phasered because Jordy isn't around. That's right. <laughs> that's Jordy's role. Yep. I don't know why it's always the engineer. It's not, that's not fair. What was um? What was Varad's plan B in case Bashir didn't happen to be on the station? Varad seems to have treated this as a suicide mission, from what I can tell from his words. Because he talks about how either way this is it for him. Yeah, I guess. Like, either I'm coming out of here with that worm in me, or I'm not coming out. Well, I wondered, like, did he have to rush things because he found out that Deep Space Nine was being evacuated due to a storm? Like, maybe he was planning a different plan, like a more right, complicated plan. Right, but he plan. was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm never going to get a better shot at this. Of course Dax is going to be on board during a plasma storm. It'll just be Dax and five people. This is going to be, like, the easiest right. thing in the world. But, like, what would he have done? Would he have kidnapped Dax and gone somewhere where there was a shady doctor? Like, what was the plan going to be? Yeah. What was plan B? Good question. Uh, Trill seemed to have pouches like marsupials, I don't know which makes me wonder if symbiosis predated surgery on that world. Maybe. Which kind of makes sense. Yep. Yeah. It seems it, like a weird thing to come up with after you already had surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, we found these slugs. We should start putting them in <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah. What happens if I wear one in my <laughs> tummy? Yeah. Uh, and finally, I somehow had never noticed that model of the Saratoga in Cisco's office. Makes sense that it would be there, but I'd never seen it before. I don't even remember it. I only remember the baseball. That's all I remember. It just looks like a Miranda-class ship, so unless you remember that that's the Saratoga. Uh, I would remember that. I don't remember yeah. the the, the uh, Miranda-class model, but that's cool. I think it's on a different wall than we normally... Like, we don't normally just get that front-on view of the desk. Right, where the baseball is, I remember. It. Yes, with the baseball. The baseball desk. Where he puts his clock at the end of that episode <laughs> with the clock. He's so proud of it! Why he not? That clock. It was a badass. I want that clock. Hey, it was a good clock. Oh my god! Can I like Etsy that clock? I don't know. Can I send someone? Was, that, hold on. Like a video of that clock, and then be like, "Can you make me this clock? How much does it cost?" Well, I got a shortcut for you. I'm gonna make an alien go inside of you, an alien consciousness, mm-hmm. and then that's, this clock will really get made quickly. So you don't have to charge that much because of alien consciousness. I'm just trying to see if it's for sale anywhere. All right. Well, you, while you do that, are you done with your quick hitters? Yes, I am. What do you have? I'll jump in while you're doing that search. I As soon as this episode starts, and I find out it's just a skeleton crew, I say, is this going to be their answer to the fan-favorite Baryon Sweep episode of TNG? <laughs> Were those two episodes being developed simultaneously? It's a real good question. This must have been... I think this was after that episode came out. I don't think that's a Season 7 episode. Boy, I don't know. I think my memory has it in Season 7, but maybe it's not. Um, <clears throat> this Klingon is Tuvok. Uh, so... This guy is the face of dangerous... Oh, you know what? I think it's after Troy starts wearing the uniform. Yeah. So it's it got to be either second half of season six or season seven. My memory of it is seven, but I, okay. I, I'm not going to look it up because I hate it. Um, this guy, this Varad, is the face of dangerous mental illness. Yeah. I don't think they made him all twitchy and stuttery for no reason, right? Yeah. He's clearly disturbed. So, I don't know. Is this a really sensitive take? Is this, is this like where the writers the writers could have been more sensitive about this, right? I mean, I guess it's not like at the end they hate that guy. They just we just don't ever find out what happens to him or it's just like, of once he goes back to being him, what they do about it. Yeah, you gotta watch out for the the mental retards because they got the they they might murder you. Anyway, um, 
Is studying for the joining like studying for your nar mitzvah? I'm meant to type nar mitzvah, but I type nar mitzvah, <laughs> and that's a way cooler thing to call it. So is it like that? Do you think he goes to symbian school? It's because it kind of seems like it. He talks about how much he's studying he did, and I'm like, for what? You're just going to put a worm in there. I kind of assumed it was like a bar exam or something. <laughs> but like, for what? The worm's just going to go in there. I don't want to waste the worm's time, So it's I just guess. to prove you're a smart guy? Yeah, I guess. Or like, well, I think they didn't reject him because he wasn't smart. I think they were. I think they rejected him because he is a crazo. Got mental illness is why. I just I don't know the studying is what's the studying. That's a good question. Study. Um, the trill in, well, the the trill the episode has a gross toad throat stomach. Yes. It's all gurgly and keeps. Yeah, they changed it for this one. Do you suppose, re- okay, I was going to ask, do you suppose reimagine DS9 trails do? And follow-up question, would it be gross to be in bed with one? Because of their toad throat stomach. That's kind of a turn-off, I don't know. right? I don't know. Could you get hard for a toad throat stomach? That's what no, I'm We saying. talked about this last week. I don't even know what's beautiful in Korea. <laughs> How am I supposed to know what's beautiful in the space future? All right, well, good point. But you, just you. If you were, if you got transported to the space future, could could you get? Do you think you could get chubbed for a, a toad throat stomach, or would the seeing that thing gurgle around in there? Would that be like, mm, no, ladies? Otherwise, fine. Yeah, otherwise, let's say she's a hottie. Even let's say that she's crazy hot, but she's got her stomach won't stop doing that thing where it's inflating and, and being weird. I think I probably could get past it. I don't know. I don't think I could. It's so weird to me. I didn't like it when I saw it in the trail. I didn't like it. I was like, oh. It's not like going to talk to me, is it? I don't know. I don't know what it'll do. Yeah. Oh, then it'll become Riker at some point, and then that's a whole different thing. Um, that lady kicked the shit out of Kira. So. Yep, wasn't close. Yep. Um, now the obvious part of this plan's failure. Once Dax inside him, she she ain't gonna like him no more because he ain't a twisted freak. Yep. She likes the twisted freak version. Uh, let's talk about... She's from circumstances like Tasha Yar. Let's, let's talk about one of Jadzia's proudest moments. Discovering the wormhole, which was a complete accident. It was a total accident? She was not particularly involved. Nope, she, but she was in the runabout. That's I one mean, of her proudest... if anyone should be proud of it, it should probably be O'Brien. He figured out how to move the whole <laughs> fucking space station there. Yeah. I think if you go back... And you never hear him talk about that, but that's a big deal. We, that thing wasn't supposed to move. If we go back and reassign MVPs for those early episodes, I think O'Brien has to get that one, right? Yeah. He moved that whole fucking thing. Uh, that's one of her proudest moments, so that's, you know, that's what she's up to. Uh, again, why does this lady give a shit about what Cisco thinks? Couldn't, um, couldn't Cisco have tried to avoid the midsection on this dude when he shot him? I would. You would think like, he would. Yeah. Dax is in there. Can you kneecap him? Just... Yeah, but so here's the thing. Like, I don't think he's. Uh, well, we know it won't happen. But like, I really want going forward. I want to see Dax's relationship with Cisco colored a little bit by the <laughs> fact that when Dax was in this guy, he didn't do the right thing. Yeah. <clears throat> he put his weird alien self-preservation because it's like Cisco spends all of his time imagining that Dax is just like him. Yeah. When Dax is definitely the most alien character on the station. Dax is much more unlike Cisco than Quark is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's arguably Dax is more unlike Cisco than Odo is. 
Just because Odo has been completely socialized by Bajorans. Yeah. It's true. Uh, Varad so, Dax was kind of a dick still. Yeah. Like, I would think that would color his relationship with Jadzia Dax. Because, hey, but I'm guessing that it won't. No, I'm sure it won't. But well, you're right. When she's back in, when it's back in Dax, how come he doesn't go, hey, is the old man in there? Hey, old man. What the fuck happened? Like, what the fuck? I'm like, I wouldn't even talk to Jadzia. He only knows, he's only known her for like a year. I'd be like, old man, what the fuck happened there? Yeah, hey, hey, Curzon, you really let me down on this one. Although, you were gonna, just totally going to let Jadzia die and just go off with this madman. Yeah, maybe we've already learned bad things about Curzon. I think we come to learn a lot of bad things about Curzon. Have we already learned some? So, I mean, we know that Curzon slept around. Right. It's not so bad. But the thing with the general's wife was like... He didn't kill that guy, but he was sleeping with that general's wife. That's an impropriety for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on what we presume was a diplomatic mission. Maybe Dax sucks. Maybe Dax sucks a dick. <laughs> Maybe and Dax sucks a like, fat dick. Sisko met him when he was young. Yeah. And, and yeah, he, I thought he was And, cool. like, Curzon was showing him the ropes yeah. and telling him about all his Klingon adventures and a bunch of horse shit. And now he's like, hey, you know what? My mentor was kind of a shitty dude. I'm kind of excited that we're coming up with a good DS9 theory. It's not. It's just not going to happen. But <clears throat> no, I, uh, wouldn't it be will. great? Uh, it would be so great if his disillusionment was evident going forward. But I, I think even just the theory that we just came up with about why he likes Curzon, even though Curzon sucks, I think that's good. That means we did some work for the writers, and we, yep. we normally don't make the effort for DS9. So that's that was a good job. Yeah, it's like Curzon's not a great guy, but Cisco uh, was fresh out of the academy, and here's this weird old alien who's already lived four hundred years, taking him under his wing, like a cool old dude. Yeah, turns out he kind of sucks. All right, um, MVP Cisco, I guess for playing. It'd be those... great if like Jennifer knew he sucked. <laughs> she was always trying to tell him. Like I don't want. I don't um, like. Yeah. I don't like him coming around. We have, see him. we have a little kid now. He tells the inappropriate. Stories. He's always telling these weird stories yeah. about the shit he did with the Klingons. Like, it's just. Can we just tell him we're out of town? Or like, it's not a. Do we have to see him every time? That's right. I think this is really good. I'd love to see the prequel on this now. Fucking. Uh, I like. I was. Uh, I was. Like she's calling. Like she's telling Jake, "Hey, LD's in town." <laughs> exactly right. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to stay out late so I don't have to see him. Yeah. You know, you should probably do the same. Try to avoid coming around the apartment because <laughs> Curzon, the old dick's gonna be there. Fucking Curzon's around, so I don't know, Jake. Go pl- can maybe have a sleepover with one of your friends. <laughs> yeah. This fucking piece of shit's coming around. Yeah, we're doing some good work today. Um, I don't know. I think Jake was pretty young when uh, when Jennifer died. Yeah, well, he was. Did we see him in that scene? Well, how old is he supposed to be? Nine, eleven? I don't know. How old is he now? We can work back. Well, Wolf three five nine was at the end of season three. So it's like. Or mid season seven, so it's a little over three years ago. So I guess it must have been eight or something, right? Like, is he only really eleven now? I don't know how old is he's he? A giant. Season two, he's probably twelve or thirteen. <coughs> Man, I don't know. He's old enough to like girls, but Cisco doesn't want him taking them to the Hollow Suite, he's which is a good idea because there's definitely nasty he, sex ideas happening in there. Okay, but you know, he's not just old enough to like girls; he's old enough to date girls yeah i guess that's a good point so maybe he was already 10 or 11 when the saratoga yeah, was destroyed so probably he probably has some memories of crazy old curzon yeah, he probably doesn't remember curzon you must know that dude sucked <laughs> mvp <clears throat> cisco i suppose 
for playing those. Yeah, I guess playing those good, good mind games that were very easy to play. I don't know. I give best actor in this one to Bashir. Just he'll probably never get it again. Wow. Uh, And I gave worst actor to Yido or Yiro or whatever Klingon number two. Yeah, but no. He was one of these guys that they cast to be a Klingon. But then it's like, why do you cast Stephen Root to be a Klingon? It doesn't make any sense. The Klingons—he's not menacing at all. Yeah, I don't understand some of some of the voice is too high pitched, and he speaks too normally. Kind of, I think he kind of turned up the eloquence when he played Kavada. Yeah, it was like, whoa, wait a minute—he's not even playing like a dumb hick like he does a lot of the time. Like, look, I love to see Stephen Root. I'll see him in anything. He doesn't make any sense to cast him as Kavada. No, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, so uh, how did this thing do mathematically? Uh, I gave it 13. That's not good. You gave it 17. That's better than I remembered. Uh, so it's at 30 points. Yeah. So, so far the loser this week is we'll always have Paris. I was going to say, look at that. A rare DS9 win over a TNG. And uh, 30 points is not obviously not going to win the week. 50, 52 is, yeah. is going to be hard to beat, but... Uh, 30 points is half a point above DS9's average, so right, at least this is a middle-of-the-road DS9 episode trending up a little. At least not digging themselves a hole, that's really right. That's not not doing any not doing any work against themselves in this one. Yeah. Okay. Hold on, did you ever find that clock? Did you see anything about that clock on the internet? Uh, I see a lot of questions asking where you can buy Cisco's cool clock. Oh, good. If you, if you Google it. People oh. definitely want this clock. I just have not seen it for sale anywhere. I, just I did see someone on a prop replica forum saying that his next, pro- next project was going to be to build Cisco's clock. I just want the clock because I hope I'll have <laughs> the same joy that Cisco had. I also, also, if you search Cisco's clock, one of the uh, links is to a YouTube video called Cisco's Best Moment, and I'm <laughs> sure it's him saying, it's a clock! <laughs> and I, you know I'm on just on a mission to feel things, and I just, if I could capture some of that, <laughs> if I could capture some of his feelings. He was big into that clock. I would be very happy. But I know, knowing my luck, I'd buy the clock and it'd just sit there. It wouldn't give me, me feel anything at all. So. <laughs> Matthew, this week we watched uh, Persistence of Vision. Uh, okay. Um, hey, Jane. Oh, hang on, dude. I accidentally played the wrong theme. Sorry. For the first time, Voyager has sunk to the level of Enterprise. (laughs) I mean, points-wise, it's been below Enterprise for several consecutive weeks, but yes. This theme has finally been uh, superseded. Um, That theme is too good for Voyager now. (sighs) All right, dog. Here you go. Uh, Janeway is really stressed, right? Because her job is stressful. I get it. It's very stressful. She's uh, on the other side of the galaxy. and um, She's kind of like Picard, where she really uh, takes her role as leader of this mission very seriously um yep and they're coming up on a unknown region of space yeah. they got to figure out how to get through it they haven't made contact with these dudes. everybody's a bunch got of a lot of related requests for her. yep tuvok wants to talk about security arrangements and neelix wants to talk to her about the diplomatic side and oh by the way there's they're trying to make the doctor um, able to go to engineering or whatever is that what's happening they want him to go to engineering 
They wanted to be able to go to important places on the ship, engineering uh, the bridge, uh, etc. They did a whoopsie and they shrunk him. And it's just so much. It's too much for her. And she does like <laughs> a tiny amount of a like a slight snap at somebody, and the doctor forces her to go uh, and get some R and R. So she goes to her creepy hollow novel where the little kids are that we like. Yeah. Um, who's got the mo- they got the mom ghost and uh, they're there, but this time they gave him too much girl and not enough boy. Exactly correct. The boy was the secret to all of it. Anyway, she goes there and she makes out with the the guy who's not um, Colin Firth, but they wanted to get Colin Firth, but they couldn't get Colin. They Firth. couldn't get Colin Firth, and so they got a much crazier version of him. <laughs> a crazy Colin Firth, and then they gave him crazy hair to make him more crazy. He had the crazy hair and sideburns and everything, and she makes out with that guy. Um, the, he the guy looks like what I imagine the guy who plays Gowron looks like in real life I try, when he's not Gowron. I try not to imagine. Was it Gowron? It wasn't Gowron. I would have noticed if no, no, it was no. actually Robert O'Reilly. Yeah, I, that. Oh, Pooj. I will tempt you. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, let's cut this short. Her, uh, she starts imagining. She starts seeing things. The things from her holodeck or whatever. They're like real to her, and and she's having some real bad hallucinations. And yeah, it's frame of mind again. Yeah, she's got the hallucinations. Goddamn Voyager. Luckily, Kes can see them too. That's lucky, yes. I guess, for some reason. Uh, anyway, eventually it catches on. They all start having the hallucinations, and they can't do anything. They can't do anything because they're so uh, <clears throat> entranced yep. by these delusions. And it's because this alien's trying to take over the ship for, for reasons. And um, Cass eventually has to... Uh, she starts seeing them, too, but she's able to fight through with the help of the Doctor, and they... They they turn it around on the alien. They turn his uh, delusions around on him, and they beat him, and he disappears, and that's the episode. I don't know. I, yeah. I might have left stuff out, but it was... It, the delusions. They had lots of delusions. I mean, you didn't mention how much Carolyn Seymour we get in this. Car- Carolyn Seymour is in this. You may know her as Torath or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have that in my in my notes. Okay. Also, um... She played the lady in the First Contact episode. The one for where first contact. Baby Newworth fucked Riker. That's right. She didn't fuck Riker in that one. No. She's the... She's the scientist. The chief scientist. Yeah. yeah. Alright, dog. This is on you. What do you got? Okay. Uh, okay, so here's what this episode is about. Unresolved psychological issues can be crippling. <laughs> yeah! That's what it is. I, think, I mean, I think that is also a truism. I think that is correct. Yes, but the, well, this is the problem. It's only worth four points because it's yes, yeah, yeah. It's obvious, and this is a pretty hack way of doing it. So, unresolved psychological issues. So, okay, so, that might be a little harsh for some of the people. Is it a psychological issue that she misses her boyfriend, Mark? Well, the real Mark? problem is that hers doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, because like Tom Paris, they couldn't has, come up with a good one for her. And I guess they couldn't come up with a good one for Chakotay or Kim, because they don't even show us what theirs <laughs> well, are. Well, no, Kim says it's Libby, but we don't see He it. sees Libby, yeah. but we don't know what's happening in we his. We know he doesn't care about Libby. We know that from the other episode. But uh, Torres has the hots for Chakotay. Uh, we'll get into it. Uh, t- Paris' da- Dad yeah. Admiral is very disapproving. Paris has daddy issues. You might call that a psychological issue. He, he has, has daddy issues in a significant way. Yeah. 
Kess is torn between Paris and Neelix. Sure. We don't see Neelix as either. I assume it's jealousy-based. Or maybe it's about the destruction of his planet? It's probably jealousy. Maybe his dead from sister appears or something, but it's probably jealousy. From what we've come to see. I think it's jealousy. He probably just has another spaghetti fight in his hallucination. <laughs> maybe he misses that dinosaur baby. Maybe that's what it's about. Um, yeah, so they all have various... They try to like Janeway's doesn't make sense, but like they try to present hers as being something about she. Oh, it's her long lost lover, the one who has the dog, and he's mad at her about kissing the hologram. Like that's nothing. It is. It is nothing. Wow. She's been out there a year and a half now. And she kissed. She she gonna kiss a hologram. She was playing a hollow play. Like that's right. Anyway, it's not good. Um. All right. So not much on the take. Yeah. Uh, but what did you think it's about? Since you you don't think it's the my take. I mean, it's close. I have um, we we keep ourselves busy to avoid contr- confronting our deepest fears and desires. I guess that is pretty close. Um, strikes me as maybe true, but not exactly high concept. I gave it a five. Okay. Execution. Janeway is so busy, dog. And guess. Yes. In this episode, she's very busy. In all other episodes, she just sits in her ready room. And drinks coffee. And drinks coffee. Guess what and she- then people come to her with problems and she tells them to solve it themselves. <laughs> she's turned into Cisco, yeah, is what bit. I'm saying. Yeah. But guess what she's been neglecting, dog? Herself. Her emotions. Okay, her emotional self. She hasn't really come to terms with what it's like to have lost the wonderfully vanilla Mark. Yep. And guess what? Mark the JC Penny model. Yeah. But you know Not for but the stuff. old man. Yeah. I guess like he's a, more of an LL Bean type, yeah, frankly. For like a vest. Like a puffy vest for going out. Oh yeah, he sells Columbia sportswear for sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess what? All of Bolana's and Kim's engineering projects? Dude, that's just a way for them to forget the shit they need to really heal about. Yes. Kim should be fucked up. He just lived an alternate life with his girlfriend. And made the decision to come back here and maybe kill Tom Paris in an alternate reality. <laughs> he didn't really Not care. clear. Um, it was definitely real. That's the best part. That was one hundred percent real. He did not care. It at was all. not a dream or hallucination. That one really happened, and it was real. And he lived it. And like that, he should have problems, but they don't bother to show us what those might be. And Tuvok and Paris, I see you guys too. You got it. Oh yeah, Tuvok is just I mean, it's not even clear boy. Like he saw his wife and oh man, but <laughs> so he saw his wife. I'm not clear what froze him about uh, she that mentioned scene. his loot or whatever and he yeah, was Yeah, so like, oh. there's it is the loot that you played for me and our children are here or whatever, yeah. but it's just like okay, whatever. He's, so you know, but I've heard fine. is that Vulcans are very good about controlling their emotions. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he did a great job. So these bad guys meant to steal the ship, right? But how? Yeah. They weren't even in the vicinity. Until at the end, the other ships disappeared and were shown to also maybe be hallucinations. I thought that those were um, ships that had previously been captured. One of them was definitely a Kazon ship. One of them was a Kazon ship, and one of them, I believe, either has been or will be used as a Talaxian ship, the model for it. Oh, yeah, Um, probably. But there were no ships. Right, so what is happening? They were doing some fake nonsense, and then they just go, Because we can! And then they vanish. So, like, yeah. I guess they're coming back this season? I don't <laughs> I guess know. So. I guess we'll see the Bothans again. 
it was all of the bad things you'd expect from a fantasy uh, episode. I know many of them died to get us this information. You know, the Death Star plans? <laughs> exactly right, yes. <laughs> that's them, right? Yeah, I think it is. That's what they're called. That's them. I, th- I, It's all the bad things you'd expect from a dumb fantasy episode. And yet, it wasn't the worst Voyager episode I've ever watched. Uh, I mean, obviously, because there have been some really bad ones. But what I mean is, it kind of, it moved along, and I went, okay. Um, Paris told his dad to get out of his life. He did say, Dad. I hate you, Dad. I hate you, Dad. (laughs) The the repeat of Dad is always what gets me. Dad, I hate you, Dad. But um, there was no Riker in a top hat. Why do you drag that fucking episode into this? (laughs) I'm talking about fantasies in Star Trek. Belana did some gross TV kissing with fake Chakotay, but nobody imagined a big old fire. Yeah, that is true. Where was the huge fire? So I'm pretty torn on all of it. I gave it a four. Um, okay. Well, listen, I don't disagree with you because I also gave it a four. In the sense, uh, so here's what I had. Uh, Way less of that good, good child actor than I wanted. Yeah, he was barely in it. If Cass learned her telepathic control from Tuvok, why is he such a pushover? He's the worst. He, again, nothing even happens. Usually, usually in Star Trek, the knowledge that something isn't real is enough to overcome it. Certainly. But here, it comes down to the fact that Cass is a strong telepath. Yeah. So what about the rest of us? Yeah. Like, what's our takeaway from this horse shit? If you're not a telepath, you're fucked. But um, it, there is a two-point deduction for sex, so it ends up being a two. Oh, boy. I didn't realize the four was pre-deductions. Yeah, it was pre- that was a pre-deduction four. All right. Because the if the solution is, well, luckily that guy has a power, then I don't care. It's, yeah. Then you showed me a show where on any other ship everybody dies. In a way, dog, it's Voyager. That's what I'd say about this episode. <laughs> I, so, no, it is. It is a season two Voyager episode for sure. Oh, my God. Okay, world building. Do it, do it. <clears throat> An energy field can have psionic properties. All right. Brainwaves can be altered to prevent telepathy. Well, that's good. Hey, they finally built those hollow emitters from, you know, from when the doctor was having hallucinations. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the point of that hallucination episode. Um, they better check and make sure that was really happening. But I am going to give them plus one continuity for uh, using a resonance burst, which is an idea that was invented like two Voyager episodes ago. Oh, nice. Well, good. That you can do that with the warp engines. So with that plus one, it ends up being a total of three for world building. It's not bad. Like what else? There's no, what, are, what's a, what are our takeaways world-wise from this? Really nothing. Oh, well, I had less than that because I have... Okay. <laughs> they're going through both a space yep. or whatever. Many, um, do- many Bothans died to bring us this information. <laughs> then I'm guessing... Don't just steal a race from Star Wars is what I'm saying. <laughs> also, the bad guy's name was Blarg, which I think is a real... That know, sucked, on. too. You know, I just give a little effort. Um, <laughs> I have How Do Shields Work... Yep, I'm, it's a real good question. I'm guessing there was inconsistency about the shields, but I have forgotten what that comment refers to. Um, there's like an intruder alert at some point, or they're like, hey, there's like a weird blip. We think somebody came aboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe shields are involved there. Uh, these aliens have got the telepathic powers that we have been waiting for. The good ones. Yes. 
they're trying to trick everybody and they they can make ships appear and shit like but then at the end they just disappear so i give it a one <laughs> oh i also want to say by the way not at all clear to me that there's more than one bothan yeah i think we guy. might have an uxbridge situation here <laughs> or maybe he's the only one with those powers i don't know because he got no help yeah there was nobody working with him on this it wasn't a team of telepaths trying to take over this ship all right so i give it a one all right world building sucked and i can't fault you for that one like I said, I gave them a specific credit for reusing a techn- Technobabble thing they just used. Yeah, I didn't even remember it. Oh, I, I was going to start to write down all the Technobabble, but there was so much that I just went... There was a, quite a bit of it in this episode, and it sucked. It wouldn't even be funny if I read it all out. It would just be annoying. But, of course, this was mostly a character no, yeah. show, so how did you think they did on characterization? Well, Janeway looks at Neelix the way Riker looks at Data. Like... <laughs> Fuck Irritated? this dude and get him out of my face before I gouge his eyes out with my dick. I think that she definitely would like to somehow get rid of Neelix, and she wouldn't mind keeping Kess. <laughs> yeah, I think you're Kess right. can stay, but this guy's gotta go. She's probably trying to think of ways to break them up all the time. Someone else can cook. It's not. <laughs> That's right. He's not even good at it. No one likes his food. Yeah, we can all just scrounge for ingredients and cook things. Like, we can do that. Yeah. Uh, just like Paris, she spends her time on the holiday getting wet. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I remember the good old days. when people Except she doesn't cut to the chase. You know he goes in there and fucks a lady almost instantly. And then later he plays pool until it's time to go back on shift. Fucks a French lady on the pool table and then invites all his friends over. Fucking weirdo. Um, But I remember the good old days when people used it for killing skeleton monsters or getting the drop on 1940s gangsters. (laughs) Yep. That's what it's for. Yeah, the only time we see someone who's definitely doing... It's actually even Barkley is not a hundred percent using that thing for sex. He's doing a weird got, power fantasy talking, in there. Okay, now you're talking about psychological issues. That's the one. Yes. So it's like no one in the next generation is just straight up using that thing to bone. No, Riker just because we know when Riker needs yeah. to jerk off, he watches the harp, harp ladies. The harp ladies get him hard. I assume that what we're seeing there is that that's the first five minutes of a Cinemax movie, and pretty soon those ladies are going to put the harps down and start eating each other out, yeah, right? I, yes, I assume that. It's, it's 100% what will happen next. Yes. If Riker doesn't say, sorry, ladies, and then leave. Yeah. So that's gross. Um, They hadn't even hinted at any of this Balana stuff before this gross Chakotay sex fantasy. Where the shit did this come from? I th- here's, here's where I think it came from. No joke. They set some shit up between Chakotay and Seska. Fresca, right. Then they got rid of her. Yeah, they did. And then they were like, oh, yeah, uh, well, you gotta remember, Chakotay has that thing with the, oh, shit. <laughs> That's right. Oh, shit, we got rid of her. God, we really didn't think about that, did we? That was the, oh, it was the only <sighs> interesting thing we had about Chakotay. Uh, he's Native American. We could do something Should we show that. him finding a spirit animal? No, no, we've gone to that well too many times. Mm. We're going to get letters. Okay. Uh, Balana had a crush on him. There you go. Write it. But I just want to get out of here. Just write it. But he was doing Seska, and it was a big thing. Put it in know. the outline, and let's hit the bar, because I don't want to be here anymore. But yes, it's out of nowhere. Ugh. Bolana's psychological shit should 100% be about her upbringing. Yeah, it wasn't And her the mixed race episode. stuff. There was a whole episode about it. And it? why would we assume it was resolved <laughs> just because she got to spend an hour with the pure Klingon version of herself? <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's it. I think we fixed it, dude. I think she doesn't have any more issues about that. Well, in Star Trek, that would be enough to fix it because <laughs> fuck. Yeah. But 
but no no now it turns out she's in love with Chakotay and at the end she's going to have a little chat with Janeway and Janeway is going to inadvertently advise her to go after him Uh, Tom Paris hates his daddy still. Yeah. No, but it, uh, he actually hates himself. <laughs> you're right, because his dad just says stuff at him like, you're such a failure. Why yeah. did you fuck up again, you fucking loser? Also, he tells him, you know it's true. You know it about yourself. Also, he knows he's looking at a hallucination. <laughs> it's, it's very unclear. He knows the hallucination is him speaking. <sighs> it's just so bad. Um... Kess saves the day, but I'm not sure a lot of character work is done. She still likes Paris, I guess. Yeah, he's the first one who appears in her thing. Everybody else just falls easily for the dumb alien hallucinations. I gave this a four, but I have to downgrade it because I I couldn't think of anything positive at all. I'm giving it a three. All right. Uh, Well, I had given it a three. Okay. We get little peeks into everyone's psyches, but most of them are not enlightening. Yeah. Paris feels like he's a screw-up. Janeway's gone too far with her little Bronte romance, although really she hasn't. She, yeah, I don't know. She didn't do shit. She played it out the way it's, like, pro- programmed play, right? I think. She did, literally, she did less than watching Outlander. Oh, oh uh, hell yes. Or, if you, if you don't have stars, uh... I think most ladies have this thing with uh, that show Supernatural. I don't know what that show is. It's uh, these two brothers are demon hunters. Do they? Have it's all myths are true. Is, is what that show is. Stuff? No, but the two the two men are very handsome. Oh, okay, okay, I get it. Okay. Uh, but she did less than watching a racy show so far. Yeah, I know. Uh, Torres has Chakotay feelings. Kess is torn between Paris and Neelix. They don't even bother to show us Kim's or Chakotay's or Neelix's. The only actual scene, the only actual character scene in this whole episode is the little wrap-up at the end with Torres. Which is, again, based on something that's just out of nowhere. Yeah. And, by the way, the character seems to be going, I was out of nowhere. Yeah, it should be. I gave it three, also, um, for that. This episode failed. It was not good. It wasn't good. It, wasn't it failed good. on many levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Voyager. Jesus Christ. Every week's the I same a, fucking thing. I do have a few quick hitters, though. How many replicator rations was Janeway's ridiculous dress? Because she wears it on her way to the holodeck. You're right. It's not a projection. Um, yeah. Good question, because we know that some of We know that a necklace is worth two weeks, and... A clarinet's worth one. Did she get special medical dispensation? To, she, oh, that's a good point. Because of her R and R's. That's a good point. That dress is durable medical equipment. Ordered to take. Yes, it is durable. Yes, that's what it is. Uh, then I wrote, "Hey, it's face of the enemy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, there she is. Uh, boy, Janeway is just overwhelmed with horniness for this dude. But I just want him to be Duncan Regeer. Oh boy, if he was Rolo, this would have been. At least we could have talked about that. Yeah, it would have been something. Someone was walking on your grave, says Janeway to Kess, who's never heard that expression, in front of the doctor, who's never, never heard that expression, yeah. to explain that she has the chills. Yeah. That's true. Sometimes people just say some dumb shit. Like, she said that because she wanted them to ask her what that means, right? <laughs> I think the you're right. She just wants the attention. 
I know an expression. Hey, Voyager, this is just a warning. I didn't deduct points for this because this is your first offense. Oh, good. Don't make me watch Janeway enjoying ice cream. It's too sensual. Didn't like it. I don't like seeing Janeway enjoying anything, really. I mean, I don't want to... I'm not even trying to be, like, mean about it. It's not even that she's particularly ugly. There's something about her that I find so sexually unappealing. I don't think she's ugly at all. I I don't think it's anything to do with her looks. I think her voice is not great. That is definitely a problem. Maybe it's the voice, but there's definitely something about it. But I think it's her attitude. Like, it's the way she portrays herself, I think. Mm. I don't. I don't, don't want to associate her with anything ha- having anything to do with wantonness at all. I don't think it's her face. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No thanks. Uh, I think a direct hit is the only kind of hit you can have with phasers. <laughs> it's out of a glancing blow with a light. I don't beam. see how that can be. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Either you hit him or you don't. <clears throat> Although we've seen how slow they move, maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay, dog. Uh, I was so mad when I saw this, and I'm st- st- I'm still super mad to think about it. Why does Tuvok have to be married to another Black Vulcan? I have the exact same note. Don't worry. You weren't the I, only one. She I, popped up on there with her bowl cut, and I went, um, all right. Seriously, 1995 or whatever? Like, it's just... <sighs> Like, all right, he's married to a Vulcan. The Vulcans like other Vulcans, whatever. She had to be black, though. Biscuit, she had to be black! (laughs) It's so upsetting that someone made that decision probably so casually. They were oh, like, oh, no, we're casting for Tuvok's wife. No, I I think it's more insidious. I think they said, well, obviously we should, obviously... They use the word obviously. Obviously, she oh, I'm black. sure. Obviously, she should be black, and that's just like that was okay. It's not like uh, maybe if I found out that she was played by Tim Russ's actual wife and she happens to be black, I would give it a pass. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I doubt that's the case. I haven't looked it up, but I doubt. I it. think they put out a casting call. Black Vulcan. They probably because she's a Vulcan. They probably put in the casting call that they were looking for somebody articulate. Right, they probably use code words of various kinds. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. We're in it now, man. We're all in it. Thanks, Star it, Treks. It didn't have to be this way, Voyager. I know. Did, it's we, just like... We've already seen Vulcans it's so, and humans It's can so do it. soft. It's just like how... I mean, it's not... It's not... This is not as bad in TNG, but like... Uh, Jordy's always chasing after Christy Henshaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a little mixed or something, right? Uh, she may have some ethnic. She's mm, something. She's... I think she's got a little something. Okay. It's very. But, I mean, Leah Brahms is is a white lady, so TNG is ahead of Voyager on that score. What a surprise! Yeah, dog. I just made me so mad. Well, we've I just seen that Vulcans and humans can do it. But what, yep. like a black Vulcan can't do a white Vulcan? Fuck this, man. No, apparently not. Fuck this. Alright. Uh, and then, then I wrote that I would have given a an execution bonus for sure if when Torres says that she experienced something she'd rather not admit and Janeway says that she did too, if Bolana had looked at her and said, Chakotay? <laughs> you, you fucked Chakotay in your vision? Was it Chakotay? <laughs> 
give I would have given. Yeah. I definitely would have given an execution bonus for that. Uh, I often wish that the writers would be a little bit more self-aware and be like, "Hey, it's it's entertainment, guys. Yeah, let's make it entertaining if we can." Okay, then they would have had that, like, there would have been that little awkward thing. Real, it just would have been. She could have like taken a beat and then gone. No, I mean, me neither. I just I wanted it to be that so bad. I just wanted her to say, "Chicote." <laughs> I know that would have been good. Man, I gave best actor to wild ass Carolyn Seymour. <clears throat> when she was coming at her with the knife. That's the crazy maid or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And uh worst actor, I did not enjoy Admiral Paris's portrayal particularly. As uh old dick. Stupid old dick. As our grandfather but mean. <laughs> er more mean. More mean, yeah. More self aware? I don't know. But reminiscent of our grandfather. There was something about him reminded me of our grandfather. Not our living grandfather, no. in case anyone from no, the family the ever dead hears one, this. which means it's fine to talk about him. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I have math to do. Why don't you give me some quick hitters? Uh, okay. Oh, nice. A fun scene with Shrunken Doctor. CGI makes all my wishes come true. <laughs> it's exactly what you wanted. How come when I'm pissy at work, nobody suggests I go home and play video games? This is a good question. It's bullshit that she got out of that so easy. No one's ever done that for me either. Yeah. <laughs> um, why is that Romulan captain playing a maid on the holodeck? Ah. Poor actress couldn't get a better job after that, and the episode where BB Newworth fucks Riker. See, I covered all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's all in there. Those kids are back, dog. Their mom is still a ghost. I smell spinoff. Hey, Kate. Once you picked up a cucumber sandwich and gestured with it for a full 25 seconds... <laughs> You can't just put it back on the tray and walk away. That's yours For now. Real? That's your. You gotta eat it now. Eat it or, or throw, throw it, or throw it or away. It I don't care what you do. You can't put it right back on top of the other sandwiches. I mean, it's it's a bad look to throw away a cucumber so sandwich on resource strained Voyager, but you gotta choke that thing down now. He's just she rubbed. I know it. it's weird that there are cucumber sandwiches there, but. Once the guy says Anson What's-His-Name asked for him, you gotta eat that thing. You just rubbed your hand all over it. So, that's yours. That's yours, and you should eat it. And I was so mad about that. Definitely. If Like, can you imagine if someone, if you were at work, and the lunch was catered, and there were a bunch of, like, drumsticks in a tray? Maybe yep. it's fried chicken. Sure, sure. And you, someone picked up a drumstick and, like, pointed with it and moved it all around and then put it back in there? Yeah. It'd be the worst, right? I would just leave the room. Yeah. Like, well, I'm out on this potluck. Fuck like, this. Like, well, I'm gonna go get a burrito. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, lady? I was so mad when I saw her do that. I'm not gonna eat with you animals. Um, then I have here, what are the odds somebody imagines a fire by accident? And by that, I mean how close to 100% are the chances? Um, uh, they, they avoided it. And they avoided it. They beat the odds. Um, if the rest of the episode wasn't so bad, I would, I would consider giving them a point bonus for not showing me a fire. <laughs> um... I think this holodeck character, uh, again, uh, not Rolo, the poor man's Colin Firth, I think this holodeck character got less British as the show went on. <laughs> I think in scene one he was pretty British, and by the end he was just an American guy. Does he get more disheveled and crazy? I think he might have been. That's what I want for him. Um, is it just me, or when Janeway said it sounded like somebody had walked over Kess's grave, she was very happy to imagine Kess in that grave. I, it's not just you. We know very well from reading the book that uh, Mulgrew yeah, uh, uh, is jealous of younger women yeah. and the attention that they get. And this show is working very hard in a yar way to tell us how sexy this insane Jennifer Lean is. 
That's right. They want us to buy into that very badly. So, yeah, probably in real life she probably hated her guts. They specifically want sexy, which is weird because I'm sure they cast her for cute. And they tell us she's two every episode? Right. Yes. Oh, fuck. When Jamie was alone in her quarters having a freakout, I thought Baron Samity from the Scary GoldenEye level was going to come out. Ah, that would be the worst. I I think about that five times a week. I would have turned it off. I would have gone, you know what, I can't take any more notes. Uh, I don't like to watch Let's Plays of that. I'm going to base it on the 20 minutes that I've seen so far, because I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) Yeah, because she was playing video games in the dark for sure. Yeah. Uh, Kath? Nobody's called Kath, right? I've, I don't, that's the, there are many, many nicknames for women named Catherine. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Kath. Yeah, that's for sure not a real thing. Uh, I fucking knew Mark was the bad guy all along, that he was the evil alien. That's right. I was not surprised at all when he appeared on that view screen and made her feel bad for kissing that guy. And then I have here, of course, Tuvok had to be married to a black Vulcan. Let's talk about this for a second. Do you think that guy hides his face so that he has the power of one psychological reveal that will only work on one person? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe he thought it was going to be a lot easier. Do you know what? I bet his plan works a lot better when people aren't 75,000 miles away from everybody they know. Yeah, they might be more convinced, (laughs) more easily convinced. Like, if you're from the next star cluster and you see someone that could conceivably be there because you're there... You're like, oh, hey. It probably probably goes better. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. He would have won if Cass wasn't there with her super telepathy. Yeah, but then what? There were no ships. I, uh, listen, we don't we don't know what his plan is, and we apparently don't need to know nope. whether he was going to convert them into energy or <laughs> I don't know use them as human batteries or suck their blood in some way or steal their organs. Maybe this guy works oh, with the Vidians. Maybe he sells organs to the Vidians. That's probably sounds, that sounds like a good market. I think there's a market there for sure. I don't want to know about Tuvok's sex loot. Oh um, yeah, for sure. We remember how little Kim cares about Libby. Can't fool me now and make me think that he's real broken up about it or something. Is Torres having this sex dream in the middle of engineering? Yes. I hope she's slumped down in the middle of engineering. It turns out. I hope she's not acting it out like Janeway was in sick bay. It doesn't matter. She was the last person conscious there. All right, good because that could be embarrassing. And Chakotay never shows up to find her. The only person who gets down there is Kess. And Kess doesn't even know what sex is, as far as I know. Remember that Janeway was physically acting it out when she was hallucinating in sickbay. Yes, but everyone else isn't. But that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Another good piece of continuity. Another well-done job here. In the end, Janeway is only a woman, after all. She totally gets fooled and frozen. The whole yep. episode, you're supposed to think she's maybe going to come through, because she's been dealing with it the whole time, and she's the captain of the ship and supposedly the main character. But no. Yeah. Every single person does but Cass. This shit would never have tricked Who him. almost does. This shit would never have tricked Kirk. I mean, it no, would have. Oh, God, no. It would have. Oh, no. Okay, no. He would, he would, yes, it would trick him until he thought about the Enterprise. Exactly correct. And then he would hulk up and overcome it. Because we have definitely seen him get tricked by uh, old Irish dudes. Um, yeah, he went Ruth. for Finnegan and Ruth in kind of a... Big way. He, he was kind of too all in but on yes, those. He would have eventually gone for the Enterprise. I must see through this. Um, Kess's hallucination was gross. All foamy. And oh, I didn't like it. Yeah. I did not like... The, I don't like skin stuff. 
I wasn't into that at all. And then when Neelix was giving her dagger eyes and saying stuff like, you're becoming annoying, kind of started to root for him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, again, they said, who's our strongest actor? <laughs> Unfortunately. It's whatever the name of the guy who plays Neelix is. It's sad to say that is number one. Ethan Phillips? That sounds right. Something like that. Um, MVP Kess in a Janeway episode. Yeah. So, there you go. That's that. Yep. Right. Oh, the episode's not about Kess at all. She doesn't learn anything. She doesn't take anything away. She just happens to save the day. What did this feast farm get? I gave it 12. That's not good. You gave it 13. It's also not very good. So it got 25, and it saves We'll Always Have Paris from the ignominy of last place. That's what Voyager's here for. 25 is actually less of a drop from Voyager's average, which is only 28 and a half, than, uh, than We'll Always Have Paris is from TNG's average, which is over an 8-point drop. They continue to dig themselves deeper, though. Voyager every week somehow scores yep. below its average. If you score below your average, the average goes down. That's math. They, so they're just making it worse. They're just increasing Deep Space Nine's lead over them. And Deep Space Nine scored five more points than them again this week. Yeah. And uh, an Enterprise is now is already over two points ahead. So on average, so it's. Um, I mean, without spoiling it, we'll see if that margin gets bigger or smaller this week. But uh, let's jump in. Yeah. We watched uh, Desert Crossing. Well done. <laughs> That's right. <coughs> right. uh, I leave as an exercise to the reader which song I was avoiding playing there. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Enterprise is again diverted from Ryza by a distress call. Yeah. After they fix uh, the tall man Zobral's alien shuttle, they're invited to his uh, home desert on planet Amiga CGI. Yep. Uh, Zabral serves them blood soup with ball parts and cactus wine, and then they all play uh, homosexual desert lacrosse. <laughs> Homoerotic, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's like it the volleyball the scene from Top Gun. Yeah, oh, thank you for stealing my notes. Sorry. Why are you looking at my notes? <laughs> Sorry, but it is. Them. Did I accidentally share them with you on, on, no, on Google? <laughs> no, you didn't, but it's so much like the volleyball scene from Top Gun uh, that what are you going to do about it? I was going to say, it's not homosexual. They didn't cross the line as far as we can see. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the planet's government contacts uh, T-Pole on the Enterprise to tell them that Zabral is a bad dude. Yeah. They are, of course, terrorists. Of course. Well, it is 2002, so... Also, of course, they consider themselves freedom fighters working against a repressive caste system. Right. Uh, the camp is bombarded by government forces, and Trip and Archer head out into the desert for some reason. Right. It seems like it was a bad play, and also they should have just gone back, and they didn't. Yeah, you're like right. Like, once the bombing stopped? A few minutes into that, they should have gone, you know what? Back to their shuttle, which, as far as we know, was not destroyed. Yeah. We should go back and see. It was still intact while they were gathering their meager supplies. Right. On the ship, Hoshi and, and T'Pol discuss first contact procedures and hint hint at the necessity of the Prime Directive. Yeah, they 
uh, Zabral heads up to the Enterprise where the crew sets the record straight uh, because he had been sold a bill of goods by the Suliban and believes that Archer is a tactical genius and sort of a space vigilante who goes around writing wrongs. He's not wrong. Because that's what he did on that planet <laughs> with right. the Suliban prison. Right. Uh, but after they set the record straight, T'Pol guilts Zabral into helping them get their shuttle through the detection grid to look for Trip and Archer, who have meanwhile found shelter. Uh, but Trip is suffering from heat stroke, which gives Archer the opportunity to play the hero hero doctor part that we see every time there's a desert. Yeah. Uh, which Archer mainly tries to do by attempting to plan a menu with him. That's right. And then by playing word games like you're going on a road trip. Yeah, yeah, um, But they're forced out again when their uh, shelter comes under fire by mortars. And uh, until T'Pol orders uh, the shuttle to fire on the mortar position. So they can't go back to this planet, probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong, right? Yet they can't go back one. there. Yeah. Uh, and picks him up, and then everything's cool again, whatever. Matt, what's this old episode about, huh? Alright. <clears throat> There's a couple of things at play here. One, actions taken with good intentions can have unintended consequences. Two, interference in foreign internal conflicts should not be rushed into. Now, given the year this came out and all the desert terror stuff, I'm guessing this is meant to be take number two. I think it is too. Like we did a few episodes ago, I think I'm going to have to credit them for taking a stance based on current events. And this is obviously still an important discussion to have today about um, you know, adventuring in other people's conflicts. Um, <clears throat> I gave it an eight. All right. I mean, like That's what sci-fi's here to do, and that's what they're doing, and... It seems kind of old and cheesy and canned, but again, I'm trying to put myself in May or June of 2002 or whatever this is and going, they were trying to do a sci-fi responsibility or something. Uh, it is, and you're not wrong. Um, I actually credit it more as an execution point. I think that this episode is so blatantly about the Prime Directive to the point where Rich Paul says that Captain Archer is going to have to come up with some directives of his own. That's not a positive for sure that she had to say it like that. That uh, I really consider this like part part five in the development of the Prime Directive arc. Mm. I only gave it three for having a take. Oh, boom. But jumping right into it, I actually gave it as high as an eight in execution. Oh. And here's what I like about this episode. And here's why I got a high score. In this episode, it's not a direct action of Archer's that gets him into Prime Directive trouble. Right, he's not being a rash ass. Right. It's a consequence of his past actions, and that's an aspect of the Prime Directive that I don't think we've ever had in Star Trek before. They spend so much time avoiding doing the thing that will break it. It's true that you do, there are not a lot of time for unintended consequences. The, literally, really, the closest that we come to this is in Too Short a Season. But you don't need the prime directive for too short a season no. because what the man did was crazy. Yep. He, had he did a, very, a crazy. He had a so, very cynical idea. And again, also not clear if those people are humans. Yep. So whether the prime directive applies or not. What but the that's, the, 
that's the episode that is the closest to this, where someone's actions in the past get them into trouble, and they shouldn't have taken those actions in the first place, which is what's happening in this episode. But I, I think I gave it, so I gave it a lot of points because it's kind of a novel aspect of the Prime Directive, yeah. which is sophisticated for this dumb, dumb show. Yes. Okay. Like, this is an attempt to think about how Star Trek works. Yes, it is rare. And, for the and what, would, what would really happen? I'm with you. <coughs> Execution-wise, how did you think it did? Dude, we are a couple of chatty Cathy's. Oh, by the way, also, I didn't hate this episode. I'll just put it that way. Like, As far as execution goes, there weren't a bunch of huge missteps in this episode. Pacing was fine. Everything was basically fine. Yeah. No, I gave it an eight. <laughs> so okay. I, um, I thought this was a good standalone episode. Like, the take is... Obviously, it is continuing the Prime Directive thing, but just like in terms of... Uh, the, yeah, know. but if you hadn't had that episode, you could have, with two minutes of exposition, covered for the fact that you, right, well, that that episode had happened. So um, my take is obviously realized when Archer starts down the same path he always does, but then comes to realize that he needs to start keeping a distance from friendly aliens, right? In case Earth gets pulled into something he has no business in. Um, oh, he's a hundred percent compelled by this guy's story, mm-hmm. and and by the way, this guy's had it bad. Yeah, like. The, the stuff where they have to wear the special garment that sets them apart mm-hmm. and the, the way they were mistreated. like, But also this guy um, takes the usual, so we turn to the only thing that they would listen to or that would get, yeah. get them to listen to us, which is, uh, you know, essentially random terrorist strikes. Uh, but, but, so, but Archer is compelled by that. You can tell. He is uh, tempted and drawn in, but he at least this time goes... And it's because of the way the guy's like, because we see we, the thing you did that we heard about that was so great. Right. And he's like, oh. So. And, and is there any of it, and they don't show it in this, but in real life, another thing you'd have to consider is, this is much bigger than uh, liberating one small prison camp. Right. <clears throat> yeah. This right? Is, uh... This is taking on an entire government. So Archer and crew seem reasonable and I think find the correct conclusions. So it was nice to see Archer start to realize what we've been complaining about all season, that he's rash as hell and needs to calm the fuck down because he isn't just commanding a starship mission. He's speaking for an entire planet. Yeah, look, maybe at the end of the day that's going to be part of his character arc. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and like you, I said, good pacing for a regular episode. There was exposition, there was intrigue, there was action, and there were quiet conversations. Like, there just seemed like there was time for all of it. Yep. Uh, but well, and they so they did some things that they don't normally do in order to make some of that time too. For instance, Flox doesn't even appear in this episode. Yeah, not really necessary. Either. So they cut down some of the side stuff here. But okay, did Hoshi Hintapal just have a conversation where they reasoned out some shit about first contact? If only it wasn't ruined by the real on the nose shit about coming <laughs> up with some directives at the end. Why don't they just yep. trust the audience just this much? Just, just tiny. That is that's a real problem, right? Like. Do they think that Enterprise is somebody's first Star Trek? Like we're not. Well, the ratings should have told them that one. Trek. And they're going to stick. And this is what this is what's going to get them into Star Trek. Is this nonsense? Yeah. Uh, another on the nose stuff. Desert terror groups and the bad actor they found to play the main guy. I said he was a bad actor. I'll, I'll leave that to you. You're the actor um, uh, awarder. Um, I gave him best actor. Oh boy. <laughs> I felt the silence come back when I said he was a bad actor. That's fine. <clears throat> um, 
world building. I mean, who would you have given best actor to in this episode? Delirious Trip? Uh, no. Nurse Archer? Frustrated Reed? I don't know. He's He's got like two lines. Sometimes that's sometimes that's the positive um <laughs> world building it is uh it's february 12th 2152 i I, I sometimes forget that enterprise does it with real dates which is actually that's right it's more helpful to the audience i think to think of. it's less abstract well um, the start dates are there deliberately to obscure right so yeah headed back toward risa again I, I guess that's continuity points um all of the internal conflict on this planet that likely won't come up again continuity points for somebody having heard of Archer's rash-ass decisions and thinking he would assist them, I guess. Yep. Not a lot here, otherwise I give it a four. Yeah, but you scored it real high on the front end. That's true. Um, I give it a five. We're pretty in sync here. Uh, here's what I have. Uh, warm weather uniforms. Oh, yeah. You almost never see a variant uniform in other Star Trek. I actually did it with that, Mike. Um, their uh, standard shuttle survival gear doesn't include water purification or fire starting equipment, which seems bad. We know it has booze, though. Yes. <laughs> in the other episode where they got lost like, yes. on the shuttle and they had well, booze. Or was someone just storing that booze there? It's not. I'm just saying, they knew it was there, so it was one of them it, who stored it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. It was one of those two. <laughs> um, the warp drive has eight main components doesn't seem like very many oh main components yeah main components okay, 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 they're probably all sub assemblies of other things right good i was confused for a second i was like what you can't build anything with eight components um like you i actually awarded two continuity points plus two for the consequences to archer's wild sulaban raid yeah uh apparently phaser starting fires is considered novel well, I guess they you found a new setting for the new new use for the stun setting to start that fire. I guess they haven't had the phasers that long. And Trip straight up asked him, "How did you start the fire?" <laughs> so they did. They, they thought it was important for sure. Yeah. So it's definitely n- a novel use. Just like Reed is the inventor of the force field, <laughs> Archer is the inventor of starting a fire with a phaser. Nice. Oh, the well, I mean, the prequel. So we knew it was just gonna be like that. Just like that, where they invent everything and they ruin everything. Oh, I was I was sure that Zephram Cochran was going to be a character in this show when the premise was laid out. So, <coughs> fine. They couldn't get James, what's his name? Yeah. I don't remember his last name. Cromwell. Yeah, it's something like that. I think that's right. Marjan always just calls him uh, Jack Bauer's dad because he played Jack Bauer's dad on 24. I did not know that. Characterization. Uh, do it. Do uh, it. I thought he was pretty middle of the road. Nothing really stand out and nothing really bad. I thought the best was um, in that bad, bad conversation T'Pol has with Hoshi. Yeah. But but there's uh, there's something working there where she realizes that it's not fruitful to try and force Vulcan ways on Archer. Like, the realization that he's going to have to come up with a protocol for this. Yeah, like, she's... So and not just... She's, she's going to have to listen to her. She's and, learning her own lessons. Yes, while she spits Vulcan dogma at him. Uh, I, I liked that characterization. Uh, I thought the worst was... Uh, a Trip obviously didn't get anything out of his desert survival training. 
Well, he kind of warned us. He told us about how much he hated it. So yeah. maybe he didn't do very well the first time and didn't learn anything. Neither of them thinks it might be nice to have a hat, for instance. Yeah, you think desert warm weather gear you might. We know they have those baseball caps. Yeah. Wore them to that nice planet. I guess, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and then uh, Flock's not not being seen breaks Little League rules. He doesn't even get a hand in. That's right, yeah. The hell, even Tom Paris gets a line every once in a while. That's right. And they didn't They didn't say that he was going to a conference or something, or on his way back from a conference. Or that his mom was turning 100. Or that he was, going to, he was on Earth to celebrate his mom's 100th birthday. For 10 weeks. So, that's a violation of Little League rules. I gave it a 5. Okay. Again, not bad, not good. Swamp Tucker doesn't enjoy the desert. It dries him out and makes him real whiny. I think it's because yeah. of where he's originally from on Earth, but he never tells us where, so I can't confirm. That's right. There's no way of knowing where he's from or what his favorite food might be. <laughs> Which you would know if you knew where he was from. Or at least you'd have a good guess. Yeah, you could guess. Um, he's probably at least familiar with this food. But at least in this aspect, this dude's a fucking cipher. Good luck. Um, sometimes diplomacy means taking your shirts off with a bunch of dudes Top Gun style. It yeah. is in these moments that Archer excels. You uh, set for this because this reminds him of his good old boy water polo network. Yep. He probably, this is up his alley. He probably tried really hard to teach those guys the rules of water polo while they were playing that other game. We, you know, we play this game on Earth. It's called water polo. Um, so here are the rules. Archer, uh, I think the most important characterization in this is what we've already talked about, that Archer comes to realize what an intergalactic ass he's been. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. And that he should maybe work on it. But we, we... He realizes it, maybe, but we haven't seen any modification of that behavior yet, so... Yeah. Um, Reed really wants to fight some fools out in space. He seems like a dangerous guy to have along on this exploration campaign. I agree. And I don't like that he likes killing people. He really is... He wants to get down and shoot some fuckers. So they're yeah. gonna, I, if they were smart, they'd be setting him up that way so that we have to watch him. Except I don't know if I want that. I don't like the internal conflict stuff. Anyway. <laughs> to fall muscles up on... Yeah, but I'd rather have them set up, like, a tragic flaw or something than... Than have I mean? us not mind that he's a dick? Right. Yeah. Um... Paul muscles up on this bad-acting desert dude and earns his help in locating Archer and Tucker. See, it's like you like it when they're setting up uh, that Stims is addicted to Stims. That's true. So, this could be that. If the You're right, though, that if it was uh, like a bunch of overtones, like, we're gonna, we gotta keep an eye on him, and oh, we don't trust him, that would suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if this, like, it just led to him being rash or making a mistake or learning something later, then there could still be good setup for it. But they're not doing it, so it doesn't matter. That's right. As usual, they're not. It's not what's happening. It's just what could happen. Um, And I thought, because of the importance of Archer's realizations, and combined with the things we've already discussed about T'Pol, I gave it a 7. All right. I gave it a 5. A 7 is not (laughs) a crazy leap there. The characterizations. But boy, did you score this episode high. Well, I really have to do math now. All right, so I'll do the quick hitters. And man, we I was saying earlier, we are a couple of chatty Cathy's. We are well over three hours. Okay. Yeah, we are. Okay, so... And this ha- is, by the way, there's no notes from Ben this week. I know. We're really, we had a lot to say. Yeah. Um, how will these random aliens turn out to be evil? Everybody they try to help turns out to be shitty. It's like The Walking Dead. 
Like every single, um, if you watch The Walking Dead, every season's the same season. They come across a human colony, and at first everyone seems really nice and friendly, but then, oh no, they're not. It's no, it's bad. Um, so in this case, they just both sides were bad. I think the yeah, the bad terrorist guys, and then you had the bad government guys. Um, dress for warm weather. Oh shit, son, you're gonna get to see their summer uniforms. Is what I have here. Yep. I knew that would excite you. Um, these guys. I liked a lot of things about the summer uniforms. These guys are eating some straight-up penis meat. They had zip-off pants. I mean, I know. The, those pants became shorts if necessary. Marjan has some of those, and I have to say they are the least attractive item she has. They're the worst pants. They look horrible. Um, they're, they are not comfortable. They're, like, wrinkly. Uh, they're ugly. They're very ugly. Extremely ugly. And when they're shorts, yeah. they're uglier somehow. You're just they're like, worse oh, than shorts. Oh, boy. I, can't, I cannot imagine them on a woman. Oh, it yes. must, be, must be even more awful. It's very awful. Yeah, uh, it's even worse than when she dresses like Troy. I gotta be honest. I figured that probably does it for you, though. The Troy thing? Yeah, I've told you a million times. I separate the sex from Star Trek. I completely <laughs> separate it. It makes me very unhappy when she dresses as Troy. I say, take that off, but not near me. I don't want to even be associated with your clothes coming. <laughs> oh off. yeah, you don't want to see Troy undressing. Yeah, go take Let's that off somewhere right. else and come back dressed like a normal person. Um, <clears throat> I think I saw this sport that they're playing in Final Fantasy X. Did I, uh, I definitely thought it was Blitzball adjacent. <laughs> Especially the way the guys were tattooed and looked like yeah. Waka and stuff. Um, it's actually just lacrosse, though. Yes, it turned out to be. It's just with a, like lacrosse, but with a terribly small goal. A small, like, and, but no goalie, I think, to make up for it. Yes, no goalie. Small laser goal or whatever. It is a laser goal because it's the space future, but yes, it's otherwise lacrosse. Um, that administrator that contacted Enterprise is a real dick. I hope you're aware that you'll likely never see your captain or chief engineer again. No, dude. Obviously, we were not aware of that. No, we thought he was having a chill feast down on the planet. And do you think you could break the news, like, a little bit gentler? And, uh, I don't know, offer to fucking assist? Shit dick? Oh, terrorist stuff, that's right, this was 2002. <laughs> I stopped taking notes after that. MVP Archer for um, learning a beautiful life lesson and taking care of his good buddy. Yeah, boy, my uh, my quick hitters also ran out pretty early. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I took Ar- plenty of notes. It's just not. In the yeah, no, me too. It's just. Uh, let's see. I've got Archer was in the North American Water Polo Regionals in twenty one thirty four. Nice. I guess that means they go against Canadians and Mexicans. Yeah, so I guess that was eighteen years before this. Oh. So he's supposed to be about forty. Ooh. His face. I mean, I guess that's probably right story wise, but um, his face betrays. But Quantum Leap looks. <laughs> yeah. He looks like he might be he might be older. Leaping than into all those apes and pregnant ladies and stuff made him age a little bit, I think. Yeah, he aged prematurely. Uh the inside of Trip's shirt has a commercial tag. They just bought that shirt off the rack. I guess there's a government contract involved or something. Or maybe that's what did it is. Contra- like was it, is it care? Did the care instructions say put into the replicator? Did will there be a uni watch alert when the military changes from Adidas to uh to Nike or something? I fucking hope so. <laughs> And then a great big boo for Captain Archer will have to create some directives of his own. Yeah, it's not great. I gave best actor to Zobral. Yep, you already know what I thought of him. Yeah, and I gave worst actor to Exposition Hoshi. Yeah, she, yeah she's not great in general. But I gave this one 21 points. That sounds like a lot until what I gave it. And you gave it 27 points to tie it with um, The Taste of Armageddon. I'm not. I want to see what your highest score ever awarded is. Let's um, just see. Well, it's probably in one of the. You gave 27 to Heart of Glory. 
yeah, of all that good wharf. I had some good wharf. Uh, still looking for anything higher than that. I probably did for like a balance of terror or something. <coughs> I mean, I got a high score, so. Uh, you did not. You gave. Oh no, yeah, you, you no, you're right. You gave it thirty, so that was your high score. Yeah, thirty was your high score, uh, and you also gave a twenty-seven to. Hold on, uh, Phage. <laughs> Fucking so. Phage. <clears throat> this is tied for your second highest score awarded with right. uh, two other episodes. I don't regret three it. Three other episodes. Again, I feel like it was just a good standalone. Like, hey, it was, uh, they went on an adventure. Archer learned a lesson for once in his life. I feel like yep. I'm, I'm fine with it. Well, look, I give it 21 points, which is reasonably high for me. Uh, and the total is 48 points. Most weeks that wins. Almost every week that wins. Is that not the highest Enterprise episode? Uh, it probably is. What is it battling? Shadows of Pajam or whatever? Uh, Shadows of Pajam, no. I know it won, but I, I don't remember what the highest score you've given it. Uh, Andorian Incident won with 36. I think that's what Pajam got, too. Shadows of Pajam got 43. Whoa, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, and didn't win. Yeah. Because it went up against Balance of Terror. Oh, that was just a good week. I remember it winning. Uh, Shuttle Pod 1 the next week did win with 38. And Fusion won with 20. What? Wait, that can't be right. Why do I have that highlighted then? 35. I gave it 20. Fusion tied for a win, but didn't win. TOS won the tiebreaker. That was Ben's week. Good thing we didn't have a tie this week. Enterprise could have had three wins. Yeah. If if we'd scored... Shit. Uh, The Galileo 7, one point lower. That was a bad week. Yeah, Those two episodes tied to win the week with 35 points. But so This week we have a 48 and a 52. That does, I think, say that this is the best, the highest score we've given to an Enterprise. 48. Yes, 48 is the highest score. Okay. And mm, I think warranted. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the winner this week, uh, getting its 10th win in 23 weeks, is the original series uh, for A Taste of Armageddon. Which was wonderfully uh, which sci-fi. Came in at 52 points. It's a science fiction delight. Just ignore how crazy Kirk is in it. Yeah, try to. That's the weak spot in this episode. Nice. Um, we did it. We did We did it, and we did good. Next week, mm-hmm. we have This Side of Paradise. Which one's that? Don't know. Okay. The te- teaser image is a woman, and I don't recognize the woman. Right. There's a woman in it. Good to know. Uh, for TNG, we have Conspiracy. We have both been looking for One of TNG's that. only nods to continuity. Yep. Uh, for Deep Space Nine, we have Cardassians. Feels like an opportunity to score more Ooh, points. Feels like right? an opportunity to score points, not just because of uh, some good world building or whatever, but because of Mark Alamo, maybe. Could be Mark Alamo. I hope. I don't know, but I hope. Uh, for Voyager, we have Tattoo, an episode which is definitely about Chakotay and his Indian stuff, based on what I saw. So, I don't expect that's going to be a real good one, but we'll see. All right. Fucking Voyager, man. We'll see. And uh, Enterprise, two days and two nights. Oh, nice. Okay. Sounds sounds nice. Yep. Nothing it. called Cathexis or anything <laughs> like that. No, it is true that in two weeks, the Deep Space Nine episode is called Melora. but. Okay. What are you going to do? I know what that one is. Um, Melota! 
Um, everybody, um, if you want to listen to more of these, uh, well, you already know how to listen to them, but if you want to listen to the old episodes or whatever, go to the website. It's brotherdate.com. You can find the iTunes. Find us on the iTunes as well. I can't talk so good because we've been doing this for three and a half hours. Um, the, uh, then you can also tweet at us. Please tweet at us so next week's mailbag is full and bountiful and lovely. Um, and that's at brotherdate. And, uh, yeah, we're going to play again in a couple of weeks, but next week again will be a, a mailbag slash other. Um, we did good. We did good, Biscuit. All right. Good job. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Hey, dog. Hey, Biscuit. Yeah. Biscuit. What's, <laughs> what is this? What is this episode? <laughs> Wait, I'm, can I just cut to the chase here? Yeah. Please stop calling me Biscuit. <laughs> Please subscribe.